0: Tell gumbo podcast i'm james lewis from simply serpents
1: and i'm april justine from designer exotics
0: each week we'll discuss what is happening in herpeticulture on social media youtube and even on other podcasts
1: we will share our opinions and thoughts on current events as well as the opinions of you the listener
0: make sure to check out our facebook and instagram for interactive polls and posts where you can tell us what you were thinking
1: then listen for your name each week as we share your opinions on the podcast
0: So, sit back and relax. Here's the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. Welcome to episode 32 of the Reptile Gumbo Podcast, and this week I have April back.
1: Yes, I'm back, guys. It's good to be back. Very good to be back.
0: So, how are things going, April?
1: Things are going well. Um, I brought my snake babies back from Ryan Rumbly's house. So now I have them. And then he texts me today saying that I forgot one. We both forgot one. So Wait,
0: how do you forget? how did you forget know. a baby? Like I, you, knew, I, you knew how many you took.
1: I thought I had nine of them there and one of them one of the babies died. He had a, a bad infection in his eye and it just, you know, took over and he didn't thrive. Um so then I was like, okay, so that's eight. And I brought eight home, but apparently I had 10. <laughs> so I'm like, wow, April, your record keeping skills are just on point, man. Way to, way to go. <laughs> yeah, but they're all at my house now. And so now I'm working with kind of calming them down and holding them and teaching them that I'm, yes, I'm big and scary, but I won't hurt it. So that's kind of the process that we're going through right now. But yeah, it's good stuff.
0: I, I had two Mexican Rosie boas born during the hurricane well that's fun only one made it though
1: oh were they underweight or something
0: the one that well the one that made it was fine the one that did that died was like really really big it looked like if when you have a snake that hadn't absorbed all this yolk yet but it just never went down after like three or four days um but it was active it moved around it was fine but i don't know i'm actually curious
1: like what actually happened to it you know
0: it died that's what actually well, happened to it. Yeah. But like- <laughs> that's, my, that's my medical, my professional <laughs> medical opinion is that wow. it died.
1: <laughs> awesome. That's a great, great opinion. <laughs>
0: so before we go any farther, let me go ahead and talk about our sponsors real quick, uh, which I'm super excited because I get to see both of these guys this coming up weekend. So Lone Star Reptile Racks. Robert is awesome. I'm actually picking up a rack from him in Conroe this weekend. If anybody needs a rack. Come see him in Conroe. I think he says he's bringing 20-something racks to Conroe, and I imagine by the time the show's over, he will have none. So get there early on Saturday. Uh, I also found out that at that show that masks are no longer mandatory, so I may or may not wear a mask. We shall see. I may live on the wild side and not wear a mask.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah, but we're still at like 50% capacity, but we'll be fine. And speaking of the show, the other sponsor is Herb's Reptile Shows, uh, which is the show in Conroe this weekend come on out and see us in conroe texas it's a it's a really really good show it's a big show um and it's a herp show so it's it's high quality but uh I'll go ahead and tell you the other herp shows that are coming up i had that pulled up ready so i could do it all right Dude, i'm, this I'm weekend. proud
1: of you because i know i didn't have to go this is an it. improvement <laughs>
0: I, I thought ahead it was great uh waco waco texas is october 10th and 11th that is too far for me i will not be in waco uh oh. Slydale is October 24th and 25th. I will be in Slydale.
1: I'll be in Alaska. I can't go to that
0: one. You'll be in Alaska?
1: Yeah, my sister's in Alaska, so I'm gonna go visit her. And oh, I no, haven't sorry. met my niece yet, so I'm gonna actually meet my niece.
0: I thought you were going I forgot you had family there. I was like, who the hell just goes <laughs> to like-
1: uh,
0: And then there's some more shows, but because of the hurricanes and things change, so there will be more details on like the Lake Charles show and all that. Because uh, Lake Charles got hit really hard with a hurricane, in case anybody wasn't paying attention to the news.
1: And then maybe a show in Memphis in March, which I'll bring up every single time, because I'm going to yes, be the, there.
0: <laughs> it'll be a show in, in Memphis in March. I know that all the 2020 shows, except for the one, are scheduled as planned. They're happening, um, and I will be at the Slidell Show and the New Orleans Show. So
1: Hopefully I can make it to one of those shows. We'll see. I really hope Slide- I can.
0: The New Orleans show, you can come back to the New Orleans show. I mean, the New Orleans show is where we were at when this whole COVID thing started.
1: Yep. Uh huh. We'll
0: bring it full circle.
1: I know, right? <laughs> That's so funny. Uh-huh. Like a week of right, so, COVID. <laughs> I
0: know. Yeah, we, we, we spread it back to all of our hometowns.
1: Yeah, basically, it's it was us. <laughs> <laughs> Those oh, damn man.
0: reptile people. I know it. <laughs> so, tonight's guest I'm excited to have on here is Ryan McVeigh. Uh, from, I mean, there's multiple places, but there's the Reptile, uh, I want to get a Reptile Room Confessions podcast, and then also, uh, I, I'm almost positive my research is right, Ryan, that your your title is, is
2: Zilla Brand Manager. Yep, yep, so I, uh, I'm, I manage the Zilla brand. I googled correctly.
1: <laughs> well, welcome, Ryan.
2: <laughs> hey, thanks for having me, guys.
1: Yeah, thanks for being here awesome i'm actually super excited about this having you on
0: (laughs) what does that say about everybody else you've had on
1: well i'm I'm different levels of excited but
2: (laughs) you can be excited about tons of people but you know (laughs) i'm just i'm I'm just i'm just a nerd that likes to catch toads man i'm not that i'm not that cool
1: you know a lot of my friends seem to have that kind of same mo (laughs) they're just nerds that like snakes or nerds that like whatever you know
0: Well, I'm glad that Ryan's on here because I got fussed at by my buddy Sean over at Herps because we only tend to talk about snakes. So maybe Ryan can help us broaden our horizons
2: about other animals. I work with a lot of stuff, man.
0: Yeah, your job is basically you get to play with all the Zilla products before anybody else does, right?
2: Yeah, I actually, uh, I help with the R&D. A lot of them I've designed um, and then brought all the way through from an idea into what it takes to develop it and um, get the packaging done and get it shipped over, get it shipped here or, or working with local manufacturers and stuff and figure out how to get it on the shelves at source for people. So, I mean, every, I, I, I have my hands in every part of that.
1: How long is that process like on i mean I'm sure it varies from different things and it's
2: it's twelve to twenty four months i mean generally uh, roughly about eighteen months from an idea through uh it did but it depends on what it is like we've worked on some foods where i wasn't comfortable without two years of data so we I, our r and d team did um fed animal the you know different animals for two years and did a lot of um uh like just growth testing and and once in a while we'd take them in for veterinary testing for for to check on their blood levels and see where like calcium and phosphorus were and things like that. So um I wanted to make sure that they could reproduce well and 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 things like that. So if it's something like that, I like to take a little bit more time and really make sure we we do our, our, our due diligence on it. But what if something like uh a decor item, um some of the vertical decor that's that we came out with that I really like is really cool. That was a fun one. Um that didn't take nearly as long.
1: Okay. That's really cool. That's actually really neat to know, like all the research that you guys put into it, especially with the nutritional guidelines and whatnot. That's awesome that you do that.
2: Well, for me, it's I, I I refuse to let something go out the door that I wouldn't use. And right. And I am a stickler for everything. And between me and my wife, we, you know, we have, she has a veterinary knowledge background. And I mean, we check our animals from tip to tail um, all the time. We're we're changing up their diets. We uh, crush up our own vitamin supplements and things like that. So that's something that I just, I I don't want it to go out there unless I'm positive that people are going to have a good experience because my whole job in my eyes is to you know get kids and families involved and keep them involved i want every little kid to turn into a nerd like me with no money and a lot of snakes
1: <laughs> yes goals <laughs>
2: yeah that's that's my whole reason for being for existing is that that's awesome so i
0: know that broad wise y'all aim at every level keeper but would you say that uh for the most part you're aimed at getting like i guess beginners but you know begin, beginner reptile keepers and all
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, we're definitely – I mean, you're going to – when you see, like, any of the major companies, you know, Zoom at ExoTerra, we're all we're all heavily focused on entry level. And a big part of that is – I don't know if you've met reptile keepers that are at the expert and intermediate level, but y'all are, are crazy MacGyvers. And you're like, I don't know why I would buy a cage when I can turn this refrigerator box into something. Like, yeah. so, I mean, and, and, and things like you get into the breeders and racks and things like that. And, you know, you're not going to – we're not going to produce that kind of stuff because it's just there's a lot of people doing it. It's a niche and it's it's really dialed down. But but I do. We definitely have some stuff for everybody. Um, and that's the nice thing with reptiles, like unlike the aquatic side of of our business, um, because Zilla is part of Central Garden and Pet, which has a ton of different brands um, like Nylabone, uh for dogs and a bunch of other stuff. And uh, the the they we have an aquatic side for like Aquaeon, Coralife, Kent. Um, and when it comes to aquatics, your entry level. Kit for guppies is way different than your 210 gallon marine aquarium. You know, uh, everything from the equipment, everything's different. I mean, the only thing that's the same is the glass tank and the stand. That's it. Um, but when it comes to reptile, I mean, the UV lights that I use for a bearded dragon are the same I have on my monitors and everything else. Um, so it, it, it really comes to tweaking little bits of the habitat, but the equipment use is a lot, a lot of it's the same. So there's a lot of crossover because of that. I, uh, I, I'm I'm one of those, you know,
0: I'm at the point now where most of the stuff I buy comes from like Home Depot Lowe's and stuff like that. But I did actually buy one of y'all's products the other day because of Emily on Snake Discovery. I bought one of the um, the halogen mini domes. Oh, yeah. Because I've been running heat emitters for my Euromastics and I realized how much energy those things were really pulling. And so I went out and bought the halogen with a little 50 watt bulb to try and get basically the same temperature and use way less energy.
2: Oh yeah. And it, that, those things that, that it's the dome, the parabolic reflector in there, you can throw heat really far. It focuses really tight. I love that for like desert species and monitors and stuff, just because you can, all the floodlights and stuff out there, you're going to heat up your entire terrarium um, or your entire enclosure versus your with that
1: room, man. <laughs> right,
2: right. Exactly. Like, but with that, you're throwing all the heat in a concentrated spot. And you can get a really good hot basking spot without heating the whole tank where they can't regulate.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to seeing how, because like the Euromastics, they just, they they like it so damn hot. Um, And like I said, I bought these smart plugs for my snake room so I could kind of figure out what everything was pulling. And When I realized it was my one lizard that was pulling more energy than anybody else in my room, I was like, I got to figure out something different.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And so we, what's cool is we actually I did some work uh, with the San Diego Zoo, um, and they actually ex- exclusively pretty much use Zilla lighting now. Um, and it's all mini halogens and our coil UV bulbs. And some of those enclosures, I mean, we were able to, to create multiple basking spots at different temperatures by different orientations of of the bulbs or different numbers of those fixtures. But without cooking, turning the entire enclosure into an oven and we were able to get it down three or four feet where other fixtures, by the time you get that low, it's so dispersed. You don't get that much heat out of it. Um, so it was really cool, but by d- it, we started out, we actually removed over 25,000 Watts of lighting and we replaced it with 13,500 and they had higher heat, higher UV outputs and brighter lights. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we cut it down. oh forty forty 40, 40 something percent.
0: Well, and the idea of the, the focused heat is really cool because that's always kind of been the knock on any of these high-temperature lizards being growing them up in a smaller tank as babies and then putting them in something bigger when they get bigger. But like a 10-gallon tank, still maybe too small for any of those, but if you put like a 100, 150-watt thing on a 10-gallon tank, the whole tank is an oven. Oh, yeah, there's you can no- cook a pizza in that thing. <laughs> yeah, there's no there's no cool spot in there. Yeah. um, So, you know, but you put it on a 20, and if you could just get it focused on one little spot on a 20 long, that's so much better than when i have a you know a 100 watt heat emitter in there and that whole thing the, the coolest part of that cage is 90 degrees
2: right well and that's the nice thing too with these like i said with desert monitors i did that with my Akis, and i've done a lot of the i just kept a lot of the odatria in australian species i can hit a rock and get it up to 150 degrees but then three inches away from that it's 95 and that's the good warm side and then it gets a really good gradient across just by using some different lights like a floodlight works great for your ambient temperature but it's not going to give you what you want in that focused basking spot and then you get more natural behaviors because the animal gets up warms up really fast and then gets down and walks around and does its thing like bearded dragons in the wild don't sit on a rock all day because or they get eaten Like, they get out, they bask for 20 seconds, they get super hot, and then they go breed and dig and forage and and do their, you know, their lizard thing. And, And you don't see that in captivity. You see Euromastics too. Like, you see Euromastics and Bearded Dragons just sit under a light all day and not move. And that's not a natural behavior for them. It's because we're not giving them that intense burst of heat that they need. So let me ask you about, you talked about
0: the UV lights. Co- the coil lights versus like a tube light I- i've always heard the tube lights were better than a coil light and then i've heard some coil lights are better than other coil lights i know you're you might be biased but i would like <laughs> general, what, what you can tell me about that
2: yeah so we actually paid a third party um research lab to go out and t- and buy all the Exoterra zoomed and our light bulbs the coils and test them we had nothing to do with it we never touched them we didn't send them anything we just paid him an enormous amount of money and then crossed our fingers. Now, granted, I'd done some testing in our lab, so I knew what was going to happen or we wouldn't have paid for this. Um, but because it was an independent lab, it's verified that this is the data, right? So our UV bulbs actually produce um, for coils. For the coils that we have, we out, we outperform both ExoTerra and ZooMed um, by pretty substantial amounts, especially on the UVA spectrum. Um, when it comes to coil versus tube, the... This is a there's so many myths out there and I can break them all right now. They're the same thing. They're literally it's It's the coil is the same phosphorus in the inside. It's the same thing, but the tube is heated up and turned into a coil. Uh, the only difference is the ballast on a tube which kickstarts the tube uh, in a, (laughs) in a linear fixture or in a uh, tube bulb. It's in the fixture in a coil bulb. It's in the base of the bulb. That's the only difference. Otherwise they're literally the exact same thing. Um, How they perform is slightly different though. If you've got a tube, it's going to cover a long, like say you put a tube on a 20 long, the, the UV at the the foot or on the bottom of the 20 long is roughly going to be the same front to back. It, The further you get away from a UV bulb, the lower the UV gets. So if you do a tube, you're covering the entire tank pretty uniformly, but the animal can't regulate its UV unless it goes up or down. So if it's a, say a leopard gecko kind of an animal, that's just going to be walking around on the ground. It's not going to be able to regulate its UV. It's going to be getting the same amount all the time or none when it hides. But if you do a coil that gives it opportunity to, it'll it'll decrease as you get further away from it both horizontally and vertically so you get a little bit more of a 3d gradient versus a 2d gradient that makes so i like the coils better i mean it Especially, there's a lot of research out there that shows like um, chameleons will actually, independent from heat, regulate their UV. Um, And a lot of animals like bearded dragons, uh, iguanas, even monitors have that clear scale in the top of their head. It's it's called the parietal eye. There's actually a structure very similar to an eyeball on the top of their brain that subconsciously regulates their UV intake through that hole.
1: Which is super cool. There was a macro shot of a bearded dragon's... I'm gonna. I call it the third eye. Is what I call it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but it's really cool looking because it, it almost looks like an actual eye with just like a thin layer scale over it. It's cool looking from that yeah, macro picture. It's really neat.
2: It's it's a, it's basically an eyeball that's missing a lens, but it still has like a corny – It's really cool, and it's actually an optical nerve coming from it and stuff. It's really really neat. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's basically a, super like it's, cool a light, it's a light sensor for yeah. It's a fancy a lot, light sensor. A lot of people think used to think that it was how they would detect predators with a shadow flying overhead, um, but they've disproven that. They actually used that to regulate UVA and UVB, um, and there were actually studies done in the – this is what kills me with the hobby. I, I love the hobby. There were stu- there are so many studies on UVA and UVB from the 1940s and 50s that debunked everything before we even kept them in captivity. Um just just like like how the parietal eye works. They they actually would cover it with wax or cut it out of a they did a study on collared oh. lizards and they would cut the eye out or they would cover it with wax, depending is a little bit different time then, but um, so not quite. I wouldn't do that now. It's a little cruel to do it now, um, but it would cause the ma- the young males to it affects their their uh, natural behaviors and natural instincts. And these young males would go up against dominant males and just get eaten because they would it was screwing with their ability to um like like understand their place and the natural behaviors. And then they felt bigger and tougher than they were. And then they got killed.
0: That's interesting. So, yeah, so, or something new, because I definitely was always thought it was the uh, the bird flies overhead and then they run underneath a rock. I didn't know.
2: Yep. No, they actually disproved that it it doesn't do anything like that. It's all about regulating U V and things like that. So it's it's really cool. The more you know. <laughs> yeah, that's. I just I stuff my head with weird stuff like that, and then uh, I had to tattoo my kids' names on my chest so I remember them. <laughs> well their birthdays are there too and i've definitely been in a doctor's office and had to pull my shirt down to remember the birthday so
1: that's hilarious
2: <laughs> yeah but at the same time i'm like yeah that's the latin name for that animal i know that that's easy that's so, so funny you know, priorities, priorities
0: right <laughs> yeah you so, got your priorities straight i guess
2: <laughs> oh awesome. uh,
1: now i'm like so- thinking of all the different ways i can change out my bearded dragon's cage and stuff and make it better.
2: Well, like, and I, I have UV on literally everything. Um, especially at the lab, we have UV on every single animal. And there's research that shows that, um, rattlesnakes use UV to synthesize vitamin D3, and metabolize calcium. Corn snakes do. Mm-hmm. Leopard geckos do. I mean, all of these species we keep do it. The difference is with a lot of those animals, especially like geckos, their skin is so much thinner than like a bearded dragon that they don't, they absorb a lot more, a lot faster. So they don't need they don't need a lot of it, but they still use it. And it UVA and UVB affects uh, immune system strength, serotonin development in their brain, and how they uh, react to their environment, their natural behaviors, breeding behaviors, eating behaviors. It's it's actually a really important part of, the, of how they associate with their uh, surroundings. And it's kind of funny, because you get these people that are like, man, I'm going to buy this, this, this crazy expensive lizard, and I'm going to build this incredible enclosure, and it looks like a rainforest, and there's all this LED lighting, and then I'm like, well, dude, you got UV? And they're like, well, yeah, it doesn't need it to survive. And I'm like, you're trying to create the environment, the natural environment, but you're missing the biggest part, you know, that big ball in the sky that emits all these rays that we use to survive. Like, you're missing a lot of that part, you know. But
0: but they spend all the money on the lizard and the other stuff. They can't afford the light bulb.
2: I know. I'm like, well, you're like eight grand in. I mean, 40 bucks more is pretty (laughs) rough. I understand. (laughs) Like, who wants to spend $40 to save your $3,000 lizard and make its immune system stronger? My goodness.
1: Well, I'm curious as if any – since so many of us um, have rack systems and whatnot, like when we can get somehow like a, a light attachment to get UV in racks also. Like I, I'd something. love
2: to see that. And I, I think as – UVB LEDs start to become more available. Um, we'll start to see some more adaptations like that. The problem is, is it right now, is that the hobby's just kind of gone. And, and I, I never mean to, to sound like I'm bad-mouthing the hobby, but in the United States, we're very minimalist. And it's kind of a... I get the argument of, well, we've kept leopard geckos in racks with no UV for 40, 30 years. They don't need it. And I'm like, you're right. My kids also don't need vegetables. But, you know, it's actually... Pretty important for them to eat that. Like they can grow up and be adults and eat candy bars their whole life, but they're not going to live a good life. Um, and you hey, can don't see, be a bad parent, make your kids eat vegetables. I know, I'm horrible, man. <laughs> But, like, you see such amazing adapta- like, like reactions between animals. And I did, a, I did an anecdotal study once um, putting UV, uh, a low-output UV watt on Amazon tree boa babies. And I did six with UV and six without. Um, and just how they acted was so different. The ones without UV, I mean, they, they laid around on the ground a lot. They hid. They weren't very active or arboreal like you'd expect. And I kind of had to, like, poke them to get them to be alert. And that you see that a lot with Amazons in captivity. The ones that had UV, oh, man, they were all on their branches staring at me the second I came in the room. They were striking the second I opened the door with food. I never had to tease feed them, nothing. Um, and it made a big difference into how they react in their enclosure.
0: So am I right in, in thinking that
2: there's no LEDs that produce UVB, right? Not on the market right now. Uh, Zume came out with a fixture that's called the LED UVB fixture. Um, it's, L- it's, it's basically their... Aquatic LEDs or They even have like just reptile LED lights for daylight, and then there's a T5 HO bulb in there, and that's your your UVB. They the UVB LEDs do exist, um, but they're uh, even my cost is like fifty dollars a diode, and I need wow. like two hundred diodes. So as soon as like your r- local reptile store puts a mortgage agency inside of it, then I can then I can <laughs> launch those, and you'll be good.
0: Because I think I think that's the the hold up on putting it in racks is you need something small enough like an LED. Um, I, I do know, I have heard of some rack you're working on ideas to make it work. And then and I think it's in the near future. I think that's, I've always thought that LED, or, um, UVB in racks is probably the perfect marriage between uh, the guys like, you've got to have this lighting, you've got to have this. And it's going, yeah, but I like keeping my stuff in a rack. Right. It, it's just in that middle ground. I think the middle ground, I think we need to strive for the middle ground and not the extremes on either side.
2: No, absolutely. And and with some of the HOT5s and there's some other technologies out there like cold cathode. It's a little expensive, but I mean, a cold cathode bulb is about the size of a straw. It's about oh, wow. the thickness of a straw and it's actually dimmable, which is really cool. It's a little pricey though. Um, so there's so many different op- like opportunities for us to advance in that in that regard, even if you could mount even if like the 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 space in between each rack, each tub, instead of being just that metal bar, if you could double that size, you could fit HOT5s in there. So it wouldn't take much more to do it. It's just, it's a lot more of the community of reptile keepers and the hobby needs to be pushing like, hey, this is what we want. And that would push manufacturers to figure it out. Right now, everybody's so minimalist and they're not pushing it because, well, they don't need it to live. So, so it's, it's, it's an added expense and everybody's like, eh, I'll deal without it. We've been doing it that way for 30 years. Well, I
1: mean, maybe it's-, it's just the the circle that I'm in, but I feel like the conversations are coming up more about, you know, adding that light for snakes that, you know, most people think don't need it. And And so, like I said, maybe I'm just surrounded by the people that are now thinking about it more. So that's why I hear about it more, but maybe that's not the majority and it's just like, a weird social bias that I have.
2: (laughs) I think we're, we want to move more natural. You know, we all want to do better. And I think that, I think we, we moved from tanks to racks and then eventually like I had rooms full of racks, but it's like, you know, I'm kind of just looking at a lot of drawers um, so we outfitted our whole house in, in, in PVC caging and glass fronts. And so we can actually watch our animals, yeah. um, and do a little bit more with it. But, uh, it's definitely coming up more as more people are starting to say, okay, you know what, we we can do a little better. And I, that's something that I preach every time I talk to everybody is, you know, uh, if you looked at how we're, you're doing it, are you happy with it? I mean, if you're happy with it, great, but I, I don't think until I can build a warehouse with. 20 by 20 cages for my snakes am i going to be happy like i, I think i can always do better you know and that, that's an extreme but i i just i always feel like there's a step up we can take
0: i agree with
1: that statement for sure
0: and and i may have had conversations with a certain rack manufacturer that sponsors a podcast about this <laughs> and, and there may be they may have told me that they're trying something out but so hopefully it comes i well i think it's like it just means that instead of a 10 tub rack, you get a 9 or 8 tub rack, but now it has lights.
2: Oh, absolutely. That's that's,
0: that's all the difference. I mean, that's what it's going to be and so that'd be and cool. Just-
2: just the differences you see in their behavior—it's—it's it's really is—it's not hard to see it. I mean, even uh, uh, Grayson Offerman is—is is a, a, a young kid out of Texas. His dad's Court Offerman, who's a uh, reptile veterinarian. Um, and I saw him at a show once, and he did a talk on on leeches. And anytime I hear on the, you know, a kid's doing a talk, I'm like, I don't care what it's on. I gotta go. I love it. I love kids getting into the hobby. You know, so. After his talk on leeches, he's breeding a couple pairs and stuff. I walked up to him like, hey, you ever do UV on them? And he's like, "Ah, eh, they don't really need it. They're they're nocturnal. And I'm like, so bats are nocturnal and reptiles are crepuscular and they still come out during the day and there's no such thing as a strictly rep- like nocturnal reptile. So that's they, they, just not how they work. So I'm like, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you some UV. I want you to have a couple, take a couple of babies and grow them up without it and a couple with it. And just let me know what you think. Um, the, and he ended up setting up like a whole lab in his house, man. It was awesome. And he actually presented at the Gecko Symposium at Tinley in October and found that the baby uh, Lichianus that had UV, they started growing immediately when they were born and eating a lot better. And then the ones that didn't had about a two-month pause before they started to really gain weight. Mm-hmm. So they followed the same curve once they started growing, but there was no pause with the ones that had UV.
0: Well, see, and I like the idea of it in her back because I know, like April and I both deal with snakes that do pretty well in tubs. She's got the bloods, and I've got sand boas, but I would like to be able to give them some sort of UV. But they do really well in a secluded tub situation. So that would that would be one of the situations where I'm like, that would be great if I could get some light to them.
1: And with bloods and short tails, people ask all the time, like, how can I make something more naturalistic? And a lot of us, like old time keepers that have been keeping them for a while, are like. I don't know. like, And so I think, you know, with my species specifically, one of those things to do better is to figure out how we can, you know, do a naturalistic setup in you know, a captive smaller box, I suppose.
2: <laughs> right. Well, and it's harder for bloods because like you give them a bunch of space and a gorgeous setup and they just crash on you. But if you take them and fold them up into a ball and jam them in a drawer, they do awesome. I know. Like, so, so it's a huge pain because then it's like there's some species like that where maybe that won't work. Maybe that's not the key for them. But we got to try some stuff and figure it out. Like, that's, what, the only, that's
1: what I'm saying. We got to try it and figure are, out it. Figure out it. Right. You know what I
2: mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The only snakes I know of that there was a study that showed that they don't use UVB and it totally makes sense because of what they are is ball pythons. So, of course, they don't use UVB because they're rocks that live in holes.
1: yes tell my boyfriend that i'm gonna send him this podcast so he can hear that
2: (laughs) like i appreciate ball pythons i appreciate the breeders that keep them i love seeing the morphs and the work that's being done with them it's really helped boost our industry and and turn our hobby into an industry but at the same time like i personally i just can't they're cute and everybody can have them and it's awesome but i want stuff where when i open it it wants me to die so i work with like maclots pythons because they're like, hey, your face doesn't have enough holes in it. Let me help you out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm
0: in the middle. I want something that doesn't want to eat me, but also would like to move at some point.
2: <laughs> right? Like I just, if I go in there and, and touch it, it's not going to just roll up and, well, that was fun. You're, you're entertaining. Look at you go. Sitting there like a rock.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I bad mouth ball pythons on here all the time. <laughs> but I'm with you. I fully understand the importance of them in the hobby. And as, a, and as a species, like I love all reptiles. So obviously, I still like them. It's it's more the hobby that ruined ball pythons for me than ball pythons ruined ball
2: pythons for me. Oh, I can totally agree with that. And you see guys that are like... It, it, I think it was for me, it was seeing so many people that turned it into a business and then forgot that they're animals. Yeah, And right. that, that was what killed it for me. And I'm like, I don't ever... And I want to... When I work with my animals, I have to know them. Like, you can come to my house and I can hand you the keys and you can go in anything you want at your own risk. Like, if you're not paying attention and learning the body language of these animals, some of them are going to be like, no, I'm totally cool. I'm going to slither up your arm. Oh, no, I-, I just cracked my mouth open. Oh, no, I'm chewing on your arm now. Oh, I'm going to wrap it up. <laughs> you're like, ha, ah, surprise. Like, so, and if you don't know that body language, you're going to get nailed. But, so now I have to know every one of my snakes, and I have to know like how they how they strike and how their heat pits work and how they can smell, and it just that has pushed me so far into the rabbit hole on on just the the natural behaviors and instincts of reptiles.
0: Yeah, I uh it, what ruined it for me was going to Daytona in the mid two thousands and seeing forty thousand dollar ball pythons that look like normals. That's what. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand.
2: Or how many people got screwed over with hats and just <laughs> so it, it, it created the industry, but it also created a lot of a lot of shadiness and things like that. Once it became a big money m- money market, there was a lot of shady stuff going on. So I don't know. It, it, like I said, I agree with you. They have their place. They're awesome. I, I still think the prettiest ball python is a freaking normal, but. They I I love that they get people excited. I love that I've been able to use them to teach college level genetics to 10 year olds because it's a visual understanding of it. But at the same time, I don't know, for me personally, I'm like, it's cool. You know, if we have some in the rescue, we'll use them for education because they're easy. But, you know, and I if I hand, you know, a kid, you know, one of my like I said, my Mac lots or a Savu or something that's going to try and take their face off. That's not a real great educational animal.
0: Well, and I think the the funny thing about them, like you said with genetics, is that you now have grown men who barely passed high school biology that understand Mendelian genetics. Yeah, exactly. I guarantee they failed that test in high school biology, but if they want to sell that ball python, they understand what it is.
2: Oh yeah, and they're like, yeah, double head to double head, one in sixteen times this with a triple in the, and you're like, huh? <laughs> and they're just off it's the top so of their head, though. and I'm like, no, no, I need a calculator, and they're like, no, I don't, I got this, and I'm like, but you can't tie your shoes. <laughs>
1: My mom was so happy when I started, like, she really supports me with the breeding and everything and getting into the genetics and all that type of stuff. And she tells me, she's like, April, you're using your degree now. I'm like, wow, mom, thanks. (laughs) I'm so glad you support me in my hobby.
0: (laughs) Nice. Four four years of college to be able to tell me what ball python to what ball python will give me what.
1: Yes, it's go. important information to know.
0: <laughs> no, like said, my, my problem is they 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 quit being ball pythons and they became Pokemon cards, they became exactly. trading cards. it's like, what color do you have? I'll trade you this color for that color.
2: Yeah, or like they can breed at sixteen hundred grams, and if I feed them every three oh, days, they'll get there in six months. Oh, God, that is hundred yeah.
1: percent like, what I hate.
2: Yeah,
1: I'm like
0: that's hey, how I I'm know somebody that contacts me wanting to buy a samboa has been looking at ball python shit. Like, how many grams does it weigh? I don't know. Yeah. It weighs enough to be
2: alive. I don't Like I, its body composition
1: is, is good. It's pooping yeah. and peeing and eating and it's doing all the things. Like I don't know how much it weighs. It, I don't and know. And it's lived
2: long enough to have an active adult reproductive system. Right. Like, that's what you need to know. Like yeah. the Timor Timor pythons, man, they take seven years to slowly grow and mature. You can push them, but they're just going to be giant fat slugs and they're not going to do anything. You got to slow feed them and reptiles in the wild. doesn't matter where they come from. They don't eat every week. They I eat know. once a month, maybe twice. No way. Well, every
0: week, same size meal.
2: <laughs> At the same time, of same day.
1: And what is it like? Oh, 5% the of, people- of their body weight or something like that? Like some people actually like do math. Well, some ball python people that I know of do the math <laughs> oh, and yeah. take the weight of their snake and have like a, like an equation on how much to feed them. I think it's crazy.
2: Yeah. I'm like, I stick it in its face and if it looks too big, it won't eat it. And if it's not enough, it'll come at me for more. Like, right. it's not hard. Yeah.
0: I was <laughs> good folks like uh, that, that will buy a snake from me. And then three weeks or whatever pass and they go, Oh, I can't get to a pinky this week. The store's out. Do you think it'll be all right until I can get to one in two days? I'm like, it'll be all right. till you get to one in a month. I don't, I mean,
2: Sambo, it'll be all right till you get to one next year. Yeah. (laughs) Just make sure it has water. Like, you're good.
1: I I do have to say, though, with, with ball pythons, my boyfriend is not a reptile person. And he wanted to get a snake so that way he could ease into it. And he really wanted a python. And I'm like, you want a python? Like. Are you sure? Do you know how many different pythons there are? He's like, I "I just want a python. Python. Yeah. So we ended up getting him a ball python. And then his kids named it Lemon because it's a banana, which why'd you name a banana Lemon? But that's okay. That's a whole nother thing. But it actually really makes me appreciate like beginners because the questions that he asked me. One are frustrating for me. So it's this whole level, different level of patience. And I realized that my (laughs) demographic is not beginners. (laughs) I have definitely (laughs) learned that. And he agreed, yes, don't, that's not your thing. Um, but I really appreciate though, just his appreciation for the animal and him learning the animal, not having any experience with reptiles besides, you know, the, the basic stuff that I've been able to tell him and his YouTube video research that he's been doing, you know, but he's asking me for, he wants you know he's like you don't do displays because you just do the racks and everything but i want to do a display i want to see the animal and i want to make it pretty and fancy a and he got a ball python to do that and i'm like oh, okay <laughs> all right it'll be. i'm like you realize they live in like termite mounds in africa like you, that okay but let's let's make it pretty
2: <laughs> right. here's a big pile of dirt in the middle of this glass cage with a hole in it he's yeah, in there yeah. probably
0: here, put a rock in there in there you have two rocks enjoy your two rocks yeah what? but like no I absolutely
2: that. that's that's where i love it that's where i lo- like you get these new it, it gets people into the hobby and it gets them asking the right question it gets them it gets them in without that here you're gonna make a million dollars it's just uh this is really pretty. It's cool. It's handleable. I'm in, you can interact with it and be calm yep. and like build that up. And that's what I appreciate doing. about it.
1: Yeah. Cause he was like, I asked if he, I thought a corn snake would be better just because it's more forgivable with husbandry. You can have them drier, you know, I just think yeah. they're easier and I'm biased. That was my first snake. So that's, you know, kind of what I go towards, but he was like, you know, I'm really glad that we got the ball python because it doesn't really move a lot. And I think if I had one that moved a lot, it would really make me nervous and it wouldn't be as good for me. And I'm like, you know what? I appreciate that. You know, yourself well enough to, to realize that that, even though this is a, you know, ball it is a pet rock but you appreciate it because it's helping you you know adjust and and ease into the idea of the reptile so so i I appreciate this little ball python i like
2: uh, any parent that comes to me and they're like what should my kid's first snake be and everybody asks that like what should your first snake Mm -hmm. be everybody goes corn snake milk snake king snake ball python to be honest like Colubrids are great, but one, they're escape artists. So they are not forgiving if you screw up and then they're gone and they're in your wall forever. Or (laughs) the other thing too, is yeah, they're flighty and they move and they're active predatory hunters. They go out and find food versus like your pythons and boas, which are, you know, ambush predators. So, with ball pythons, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan for a first one all the time just because they go off food and that's a pain. It's nerve wracking for a first time keeper. Um, yep. And depending like they're not that interactive so people can get bored with them quick. And, you know, my wife runs has started a reptile rescue in Illinois 10 years ago. It's now what our garage used to be is a garage and now it's a reptile rescue. Um, but like so I, I've actually started pushing people to rosy boas. I'm like they're small. Yeah, they're they're great. They they're garbage cans. They don't stop eating, like and and they don't go off food and they don't and they're they're forgivable again, just like the the corn snakes because they're from the continental U.S. So you're not too yeah. far off their habitat. So like that's been a, a, my go to for about the last two years. I'm like you know they they, they don't get enough love, and I think they're an awesome entry level pet. I'm with you on rosies. The only, so I have, I have Mexican rosies. I don't, I don't do locales.
0: They're Mexican. That's as far as I know, but that's the only thing that's kind of kept me from getting into more rosies is that like it's such a locale specific like group of people. And I'm just not that into like what side of what road or next to what rock and cactus this snake came from. And so I could, I haven't got into them, but there are so many really cool looking rosy bows that I think they do make really good pets.
2: Uh, just they got to be affordable because a lot of those locale things become a little more expensive right well in the locality is kind of a cool way it's a morph but it's not you know what i mean it gives so many different looks to these animals with a, and it, but it's a natural thing so it, it that's just a cool story to tell too When you're talking to kids like hey you talk to the right guy and he can look at your snake and tell you almost exactly on a map down to a pin where that thing came from just because of how it looks like, well that i always was think cool
0: i always recommend it because i mean I, i'm partial because i breed them but sambo is I me mean, like we have yeah, they hide all the time I was like well yeah that's that's what they do i don't like I'll never see it. I was like, "You will when you take it out." I don't, right? Like it's, it's they hide. It's like that's that's what most snakes like to do. They like to hide. I was like, "I don't." So, but Rosies are a little more active, uh, and they do give you more of that body, like snake body shape versus slug shape of sand <laughs> boas. <laughs> right,
2: what, and if you love Kevin Bacon and anything he was in in the eighties and nineties, you have to love sand boas. I know. I love. Just, I love trimmers. As an industry, we just need to start calling them graboids. I'm all for that. Yes, would, it's, I'm always stuck between graboids or the sandworms from Beetlejuice. Oh, yeah.
0: Yep. But so let me get to our, our first question on our Facebook page. Uh, I knew we had you coming on, so I aimed both of our questions this week at basically you. Uh, and it's funny. I got like the same response from everybody. So the first question was, what type of reptile slash amphibian products do you think are missing or need improvement in the hobby? And, like, four or five people basically said the same thing. Uh, they wanted something that would allow them to heat and cool, a, a small unit that would allow them to heat and cool the reptiles within their cage, um, which is a really cool idea, like, for hibernation and all that. I mean, the problem is there's a reason we use coolers for cooling down snakes is because you lose a lot of cool air in a cage if you try to cool down a cage.
2: Right, but the the bigger thing with that, and and this is this is my my previous boss, uh, uh, who was who was awesome. He 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 told me he's like Ryan, that sounds awesome, but and that was always his thing. He's like he's mm. like you know I'm gonna say but, and I'm like yeah I know. So but and, and but it's a it's kind of a thing. So it when you come when you're thinking cooling, like think about chillers for aquatic tanks for saltwater tanks and stuff with all the heating and lighting, the lighting and things are. So you have to buy these chillers. The chiller for a saltwater tank is $3000. It's basically oh, yeah. a refrigerator and it has to be in order to actually cool. The only other types of cooling mechanisms are basically that I can I can never remember what it's called, but it's aluminum fins that are on like um like your your fan runs on it on your computer um in like a tower like so there's there's different types of cooling like that, but they're not very effective. Um and the and the other thing too is and this is something I you know that if, if you guys have ever look up reviews on the ExoTerra came out with their incubator and it looks amazing. And the only thing that kind of sucks about it is if the, if it has an an issue, it can lock itself into cooling. And if the controls mess up, you can lock it. And I know people who have lost entire incubators of eggs and then went in there and was like, what's going on? And it was 45 degrees. So like, so there's some stuff there, but really it comes down to the only way to effectively cool is with a refrigeration unit. And there's other ways, but they're just not that effective, and it, you wouldn't get the desired result.
0: That was kind of what I was thinking. I, I was thought about that. I'm like, it's neat in theory, but I did think about prices. Like, I don't know if you can make it affordable. I did buy a, you know, I bought a wine cooler because I, ju- I just got rubber bows, and I know I'm going to have to uh, bring those guys down. Um, but that seems like that's probably that's I mean, way cheaper to go buy a wine cooler and do it than whatever any of the companies, whether it be Zilla or any other ones what they could make to put onto a cage to to drop it down. I I bought a used wine cooler for a hundred bucks off of Facebook. So it's, it's hard to beat that.
2: Right. And that, that's kind of the thing. Like if you actually need to cool for any reason, that's what you do. You do a wine cooler, you get an old fridge and you actually just let it get a little warm, you know, dial it in. And then if it's for hibernating your animals or, you know, whatever you need it for, that's kind of where we're stuck. Like I said, we can, as a manufacturer, I could definitely create something that would do that, but it's not going to do what you think. The best case scenario would more so be just to put a fan in it that, you know, blew room air into the cage. But then you're also cooling the whole cage down and you're going to be fluctuating that animal between stagnant, hot air, cold moving air, stagnant, hot air, cold moving air. So I, I don't know. I'd have to look into it more like what would that do? Would, would that actually negatively affect them?
0: There was that. And then the other one that I saw that came up a lot was, and and this is always kind of an issue, but it's, it's temperature control. Well, a couple of things. So a lot of them hit on uh, temperature control, but they also want temperature control units that do temperature and light and humidity, but they want it affordable, which is the tricky part. Um, you know, you can find okay working temperature control units, but not proportional. Like the proportional ones are probably going to cost you a hundred bucks minimum to get into a proportional.
2: Well and that's what it comes down to. So when you get into proportional the 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 actual pieces the mechanics inside are what it it costs a lot more. Like there's a lot more electronics to it. It's not a simple on-off switch anymore. Um and that's where you start getting into the higher costs and it's really hard to do that. And then you have humidity control um to be honest so my background's actually I have a master's in engineering and my bachelor's is in HVAC design. Um so I understand heating and cooling on a level that most people don't. Um, But when you're talking about like humidity and stuff too, humidity sensors aren't that accurate in the hot, in like commercial hobby items. Um, They're accurate enough, but they're not going to get you down to a certain percentage. Um, They're going to get you within 10 or 15% of that. But so to do a controller that had a real, and that's what everybody wants. So I want it to be within 2%. Well, for me to get a probe, that'll be within 2%. That probe alone is going to be, a thousand dollars or five hundred dollars, my cost. So it's just not something that's easy to do. It's something that's really hard. Now I saw Zoomed came out is coming out with something um, coming this year that does heating, lighting, and humidity, and I'm interested to see how it does. Um, but they also, when they showed it at the Global Pet Expo in February, didn't have a price on it. So I and just based <laughs> so on what it does, expensive. I can't. <laughs> I can't imagine it's going to be less than three hundred dollars. So. Well, that's- that's kind of the problem is the, to me, the gold
0: standard in the hobby right now, as far as temperature control is, is, uh, Herpstat. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and they're, and they're, and they're affordable when you think about what they do. Like that's, it's not, people always know how greatly, how hugely expensive they are, but I've got a Herpstat six that I think was like 400 bucks or whatever, but it runs six cages. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, it does so much when it, you know, I use it just for temperature, but it will do lights. It will do all this other stuff.
2: Yeah, my wow. snake wall is on a Herbstat 6 that covers the lights, and every single row is on a different thermostat and or a different uh, uh, setting. And, like, it's awesome. I love it. But, again, yeah, it's 400 bucks. But at the same time, like, and that's where it's hard with, with reptile, like, when you get into real hobbyists and people who are in, like, the intermediate expert level of the reptile hobby is you want something that does all this stuff, but you really don't want to pay for it. And it's kind of the same thing of, like, I really want a Z06 vet but I don't want to pay more than my minivan. And I guess what? That's just not a thing. And it sucks, but I'm sorry. It's just not a thing.
0: And, and I see where everybody's coming from because, uh, like I said, there's several people, uh, Dominique also talked about it last night on uh, Snakes and Stokies, uh, but an affordable proportional thermostat, just, it's just expensive. And But I get it. You, beginners, that's always our big thing when I talk to somebody, all right, this is what you when they ask me what they need. I'm like, well, you need to have – a heat pad or heat tape or something. And then you have to have a thermostat to plug it into. And then when they start seeing thermostat prices, they're like, well, I'll just go the cheap way. I'm mean, like, I get that. But like, this is probably the most important thing you're putting in there is right. the thermostat. Like that's, and, and you're only buying one. You would not have to buy it again. It, it lasts for, right. for the, life of the snake. You're good.
2: Well, and the other part of this too, is like, it, it's just the idea of, of reptiles are so miss, just messed up this. So I don't know if you're aware of this, but they've been evolving for millions and millions and millions of years. Um, Really? I know. a thought. Right? Like, even though their care sheet says they should be between 88 and 92, like for a ball python's basking side... Africa doesn't read care sheets. So <laughs> like it's not always 88 to 92 with the perfect humidity. And those animals have evolved to be able to handle swings. Then you, and, and they live in areas that have micro habitats, which are another thing that people just don't understand. So when they hear a desert animal, like bearded dragons, they're a desert. So the Sahara and the dunes in the Sahara are the same thing as every other desert in the world. And that's just not the case. Like where they live, they can burrow under a rock and find humidity. And I found that problem with Odatria on the Dwarf monitors, where people keep them super hot and dry, and they all get gout and 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 kidney issues, and they lose toes, and they all look so gnarly by the time they're adults. When really, the in reality, they live in these they live in crevices and rocks that have a ton of humidity in them because the rain has seeped down into the rocks, and it's down in these microclimates where they live. And if you're not recreating that you're not going to have a healthy animal. And we, we generalize way too much on care and an overall habitat, but then we get way too specific on stuff that they can handle fluctuations with. So I've had people call me and be like, my cage is at, you know, 86 and I really need it to be at 88. And I'm like, well, no, you don't like It's fine. Like, and if you want to bump it up, you can. You could add a little heat mat just to bump it up a couple degrees, but you don't really need to. Like, it's going to be okay. If you called me and said, I can't get my cage above 68, yeah, then we got to work on it. But, like... You you know, it's 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 not an exact science and these animals like they don't live their entire life at one exact temperature and one exact humidity and one exact like 12 hours of day of daylight and 12 hours of night and it's all perfect all the time. So you got to give them a little chaos. You got to let them, uh, uh, you know, adjust to their surroundings and change it up a little bit.
0: I'll see people freak out about the humidity in their cage. I think it was a corn snake. I saw someone post about like, I can't get the humidity high enough. I was like, "Is is it shedding fine? Yeah. Is it eating fine? Yeah. I was like. It's fine. Well, I think that their. I think it was like a. I think theirs was too much. It was too much humidity. I was like, you realize these things live in Louisiana and Florida. Like, you're not going to have more humidity in your cage than what they have there, right? Like, is, there, is there any water on the side of your tank? Well, no. Well, you're
2: good. You're good. Yeah. Like, and, and then like, oh, it's too dry. Well, do they have water? Can do you have a humid hide in there so they can like get away and kind of sit in the moss and stuff? Then you're fine like leopard geckos don't put them on sand and if you're gonna make sure they have a just totally rad awesome humid hide that you keep nice and moist and they'll be fine but where they come from is more like nebraska than the deserts of the savannah
0: (laughs) well it was dave kaufman when they went to australia they were out there looking at monitors and every time anybody thinks of a monitor they think of oh they bask in 140 degrees but then he took his little uh thermometer and the hydrometer and all and he measured just the entrance of a hole into the ground and the temperature difference and the humidity difference was insane yeah and that's where they're hiding for most of the day as they're down in that thing not just sitting on top of a rock baking all day
2: exactly and that's what people don't get they're like nope if i look at a map and it looks like a desert and this care sheet says it's 140 then that's all it is everywhere there no matter what and i'm like well you've never been outside apparently
0: well, I thought one thing that I've heard—I think maybe Justin talked about—a couple other people talked about—is thermostats that you could hook up to like a weather app, and so That'd be cool. you could pick pick where your animal comes from, and it adjusts with the temperatures in that area. Uh, which I know it's probably it's got negatives and positives because sometimes you have really hot days. You could cook the whole cage if you're not careful, right? Um, so you well, don't there's limits. There's but.
2: ways you could do it. I mean, there's definitely ways that that could be done. Um, but again, it, it's going to the cooler, the more like I, it's not going to be your roll up Windows minivan. It's going to be the one with the TV sure. screens. And are you going to pay the extra 10 grand for it? Like and that's where a lot of the, the back and forth comes from is. And I struggle with that a lot when I'm creating products. I'm like, this is really super cool. And I'm totally stoked about this. And then we get down to the pricing and we start really working it out. And I'm like, ah, uh, crap. I don't know that this is actually going to work, even though it might be something that could revolutionize how we keep reptiles. If it's 200 bucks and they're like, well, I can get one on Amazon that doesn't do any of that stuff. And it's $19, then they're just not going to buy it. And then I'm going to be sitting on a whole bunch of them forever. And then I'm going to get called like, Hey, well you're not selling any of these and you made it. Why, what did you do? So <laughs> like that's, that's a struggle that we have to work with. And, and absolutely, that makes it difficult. Cause it's, I, I get it, man. I want all this cool stuff too. But at the same time, if they're like a Herbstat six is too expensive, but I want something that does all of that and twenty more things. Well, but I want it for the price of you know the cheap on-off China one from Amazon. <laughs> it's it, yeah, I cool. High five, dude. That's cool. I want that too. <laughs> like that's all I got for you. I don't even. have – I can't even answer you. I just good job. I want that too. We'll I both for- we'll both wish together and see what happens. <laughs> for me, like
0: the one thing, if, if I were to look at this question with. What do you think could use improvement? The one thing I've always just like, and I worked at PetSmart for a while and I worked in management and I, and I saw all this. I hated selling kits. And I know Zilla makes kits and I know they all get oh, yeah. kits. I, I hated selling kits. I, and, and I felt like there were just small changes that could make me not hate a kit as much. The lizard kits, I can get around day bulb, night bulb, whatever. If you want blue, red, whatever. But it was the snake kits. I don't mind the, and the Zilla makes them, the, the round top on off thermostat. With a yeah. little dial in the middle. I used those for over a decade. I probably had like 10 or 15 running at one point. And I think they're fine. Um, I hate that like the big box stores don't tend to put them on the shelf. That's, that, that's always driving me nuts. It's like, just put it on the shelf. It's like 30 bucks. I can sell one of these because it's 30 bucks, Right. And I wish those were kind of in the kits with a heat pad. Right. Well, nice?
2: So one thing I could say is, so we actually, I can agree and I'll even... Well, maybe nobody that I work for hears this, but our kits need some improvement. But they, I know that, and and we're it's actually something that's going to be hopefully coming up in the in the future near future is is really going through and really reanalyzing how we're doing our kits. Um, and we did that with a snake kit that's actually at Petco. Um, and and it, it's got a heat mat. It comes with the rock layer humid hide because they need a freaking humid hide most of the time. It comes with so much more stuff that just makes it a better kit and the only thing it doesn't have is that stat but that's just because of a price point thing Yeah, Um, and the other part of it too is honestly and this is my little like hey nod to zilla is our heat mats can't physically overheat it's not possible so our heat material mat material is a carbon fiber material and the warmer it gets the more resistive to electricity it gets that's the the property of the material Um, and when it hits 113 degrees it becomes so resistive that it stops allowing electrical conductivity so it can't physically get warmer than that so on ours there you'll see the cord go to the heat map but there's not that block like there is on on my competitors and what's in that block is a thermal switch it's kind of like a circuit breaker so it gets too hot and it shuts off and then it cools down and it trips back on and then it just sits there and turns it on and off all day well if you get a power surge or something and it gets stuck on then that is heat cable or heat tape that is stuck on and not controlled and that's why you need a stat for it is because hopefully that doesn't happen but if it does you have a backup with the Zilla ones, that can't physically happen. So a little bit of a safety thing there, which I think is pretty cool. Um, but Peko, actually, with those little dial, the ones with the little circle dial on it, I killed those. So they're gone now. Um, I think you might mm-hmm. see them for a little bit longer as they kind of die off. And I, re- I upgraded to a digital version that can do the same thing as that. But it's a nice point. Same price point. Exactly the same price. It's, but now it's a really sleek. Digital interface um, that just launched last month, so you'll start to see them in stores soon. Um, and Petco actually has it, so um, so they're actually going to carry that on shelf, which will be pretty awesome. That'll be great because
0: that's an easy sale. Like I always felt like re- you'd see like some pet uh Petco's would carry the rheostats I'm like, get rid of the rheostats like stop that. Like that's, it's, but it was just I always wish they had a thermostat. A digital thermostat's going to be an easier sale just because it it's going to look fancier, even though it does the same thing. So oh, yeah, off. yep, but. Oh, that's awesome. I do we, like that.
2: We made it black. I made it like green faded to black and made it look all sleek. It's got like the LEDs and the LCD on it are real bright and real clear. It it actually looks pretty cool. I was really happy with it. Like I've got some I generally that kind of stat just for me because I use herb stats and I have racks where like, I just can't afford for the heat to mess up. So I'm okay paying that kind of money. Um, so th- those kind of stats are more for me, like a backup or a temporary thing, or if I got a 10 gallon setup, you know, that might be for like the one heat pad or something like that. Um, yeah. but, but no, for the average person, like it, it's a great option. And it's, it, I, I think, I was really happy with how we designed that. We test them. I've been actually using that at my house for over a year, and it just went out to the public last month.
0: I still have a whole pile of the the little knob thermostats, and I use them like when I have snakes. I have five snakes in uh, quarantine right now, and all their stuff are running on those. Uh, just because it's a couple of months on one of those, I, I, I'm not going to go buy. I'm a, At some point, I probably will buy a Herbstat, but right now, I have a whole pile of those, and they work.
2: Well, and they're a nice little backup. They're a nice little, ah, crap, I need something. You know what? This is cheap. It's easy. It's going to work. I can rely on it. You know, it's, and then if you're using it with a Zilla heat mat, there's almost zero chance of failure. So, I mean, that's, what's nice. I mean, that's a great safety feature. Yeah, actually, that's been really cool. That's something that um, I've kind of used to to pitch it for teachers and schools and things like that. And especially as a reptile keeper, man, my biggest fear—the one thing that just is gives me nightmares—is of the chance of a fire. Like that fire, scares yeah. the crap out of all of us. And yep. the more opportunity I have to continue to knock that 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 possibility down, the more I'm gonna I, we we design for it. We we aim for it. I'm constantly beating them up. Um, I take our heat mats and have like drilled holes through them to see what would happen. Uh, we've actually. In ten years, we've gotten back maybe a dozen heat mats that melted, Um and it was because their house had a power surge, and the cord melted, not the heat mat. Oh wow! Like the metal in the cord melted before the heat mat was affected.
0: Let's see that that was that was the the over, overwhelming one I kept seeing was temperature control, temperature control, and I'm like I think like I said. I think where we're at right now, you either have to make an agreement to go and pay a little bit extra and it's worth it, or understand that the, the lower end stuff works for intro
2: people. Yep. Like, and I, mean, it works I don't for
1: mind them. spending the money if it's going to last. That's my big thing. Like, right. I'll well, spend the money. Well, and if you money, really look but- at
2: it, if you really look at it, you're buying a snake that's three, four hundred bucks, and then you're putting it in an enclosure with a habitat that's another. Especially for an entry level, if you're doing a really nice, like say forty breeder front opening terrarium, all decked out, you're going to be in a stand. You're going to be spending a thousand dollars. Yeah. Like, what's what's really another hundred bucks? Like, I I can't. I don't know. I you get what you get, and you can go the cheap route and do the Amazon thing over, you know, from from whatever vendor in China, and and that's great, but. I mean, for me, that extra 50 bucks is is insurance for me. That's reassurance that that I'm not going to end up having to post one day about how my house burned down.
0: I agree. And I think the the big problem is for the general public, which is who's coming into PetSmart and Petco and buying a kit and buying all this. Uh, when they start seeing the prices of all those things, their mindset is still that, well, the snake cost 40 bucks i shouldn't have to spend 200 bucks to set it up because they still have the goldfish mentality when they see a yep. snake or a lizard
2: at the same you time know. they should go get themselves an adorable little 20 dollar nemo and then they should set that up like oh <laughs> i'm sorry but for reptiles it's stupidly cheap for anything else you could possibly do that's there oh yeah
0: but uh other thing that's all here um Ashley said commercially available commercially available enclosures that are good for the species, not just a catch-all on the shelf or local box store. That's hard. At a box store, they're not aiming at species-specific or else that cage for, you know, uh, whatever will sit there for two years. And- right.
2: Exactly. And the other thing, too, is, like, even PVC cages. Like, at my house, my animals are in PVC. I've moved away from glass except for on some things like dart frogs and things like that. Um, but – it's cool for us. And that's the other thing, too, is is it's hard for us as keepers that have been in it for a long time, like, to, like you said with your boyfriend, like take your mentality back to that point where you just liked lizards and liked snakes. Would you have wanted a black box that has one viewing window in the front? No. You, you want to see your animal. You want to be able to see it climbing around while you're watching TV and interact with it. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of good ways to do that that also help hold humidity and heat better and things like that. So – there's some give and take and I'm constantly looking for unique ways and new ideas to to kind of mesh the two and come up with an in between that would be great for the animals, but would be also beneficial to the people keeping them where they'd appreciate it. Um, but it's it's a it's a hard balance and it's a hard sell.
0: Well, and uh, oh, the next one was Lori Trini said an all in one light for heat, UVB, a and infrared A and B. I mean for heat UVB and A a mercury vapor bulb will do that.
2: Yeah, mercury vapors there's also uh metal halides. Um both of those will do that. But I mean it again it, it, it again it's kind of the technology too. So that's something else even we talked about a little bit about like uh UVB LEDs. Um the reptile hobby, all the coolest, unique, like lighting and stuff we're coming out with, a lot of it is stuff that has been out there for 10, 15 years. But it it wasn't at a price point where we could make it affordable for you to use for your pet. So it's it's newer technology. And the the problem is I can create a really amazing bulb, but with a, a brand new, unique technology, something really new that you've never even heard of before. But some of these companies aren't going to manufacture, even if we're selling 100,000 bulbs a year, as say, let's just say it was so cool, everybody t- turned to it. The whole entire reptile hobby and the bulb usage is a fraction of a percent of what's used in homes and, and offices and things like that. So it's a really, really specific thing. UVB bu- coil bulbs and, and tubes don't exist outside of the reptile hobby. Like that's something we've been able to do, but we're using the, like phosphors and things that are from a different tech, a different, uh, a different use. Um, so it's, it's hard to do that. And that's where like the UVB LEDs get difficult. And, and we're waiting so long for the cost to come down because there's not something else out there like medical or tanning beds or something that would drive that price down by using it so much to make it affordable for us to use for our hobby. Yeah. Lighting is always a tricky thing. That's all. I mean, I don't,
0: I don't think any, I don't think you're ever going to appease the entire group of reptile keepers when it comes to lighting and heating.
2: Well, one thing I can say for anybody who wants to look into it is, so we came out with what's called our Pro Sole fixture. It's a fixture that is probably five or six inches wide. It's an it's an inch and a half tall. It's super super low profile. Um, and the thirty inch fixture comes with a built in timer. There's six sockets. One of them is a night socket that you can use a ceramic heat emitter for. And it's all the type of bulbs that have that mini halogen two prong. So, and we have uh heat emitter for it we have uv bulbs for it we have the mini halogens for light we have leds so like my monitor enclosures have two inch pro souls and it's a 6 foot enclosure that from one side to the other has mol- tons of uv plant leds daylight night light throughout the entire enclosure in this one fixture so we may not be able to do one bulb that does it but this is an ex- that pro soul fixture from zilla is a super unique really customizable fixture that I I, I absolutely love that thing
0: Mm. What? How would you
2: compare the lifespan of a halogen to an incandescent bulb? So incandescent bulbs have an industry average of about 500 hours of usage. Um, the mini halogens that we use have uh, an, an industry average of 2,000 hours. So they last a minimum of four times longer usually. But I have – dude, I have mini halogens at my house that I've – You can spray them with water and they won't break. And I've literally sprayed them with a mister that was on like jet and they don't break. Um, And then I've dropped them and chipped glass off of them and still used them for another year and not had a problem. (laughs) Like they're pretty durable little things, man. It's awesome. I love it. Which is funny because you're always told don't touch it with your fingers. Yeah. So that is true to an extent. At the same time, I have never not touched them with my fingers because I'm not going to use a little cloth or anything. When it comes to like the, the halogen lights on your car, those are way higher output and they get a lot hotter. So that does cause a huge issue and it'll shatter them pretty quick. But with these, I haven't seen that issue. And depending on which color it is, some of them have up to 33 layers of glass. Oh, damn. Yeah, so like it's a it's a really intense process to make those. Um, and then we, they the reason you don't see them anywhere else is we, we are the ones we're working with our manufacturers to do different types of coatings um, that can handle the surface temperature of a mini halogen. Um, and it, it's something we've worked over worked on often and we re- revisited about every two years on how to improve them and make them even better. Um, and that's been happening. I think they came out probably in like 2008 or 2010. So it's been quite a while.
0: Oh, I I got mine the other day. So we're going to see how how I like it. Uh it's cool though cuz like I got to look, well I went to Petco to buy a bulb cuz I was going to go the cheap route and get a bulb from Lowe's and I did, but they didn't have a 50 watt. They had up to a 40 watt and I couldn't get it warm enough. So I was like, "Oh, I'll get to try 50 watt." And then they didn't have white, so I had to get blue. So now I have a nice little like blue spot for my lizard to go lay on.
2: Yeah, so the only difference really between white and blue is Blue works, I generally go to white for desert species just because they're so used to intense light um, versus like if I need a hot spot for a, like, say, an iguana or like a tropical monitor, that intense white makes them hide because they live under treetops and canopies. They get bright light, but it's a little bit filtered. So that's more what the blue light is for and why that works better for more tropical species. It'll, it, But the heat output is almost the same. So it doesn't really make a difference. But if you have... A more tropical species, I always suggest a blue bulb just because it's a little bit less of an intense light. So your animals will be a little bit more um active in it. They won't hide as much because they won't feel so exposed.
1: Does that help with your decision, James? <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: I, I knew he I was debating whiteboard. that
1: in our chat like I a couple was, days ago.
0: I was debating getting the red or the blue because that's all they had in the 50 watt. And I was like, I'm going to go with the blue because I want some light. And I, and I, I, I ended up going blue anyways but i'm gonna get a white at some point apparently i'm gonna get a white in like five years when this blue one dies
2: (laughs) no (laughs) definitely like hey shoot me questions or if you if you if you're like dude this thing sucks totally tell me totally call just message me and be like ryan this is crap and i hate you for it like it's (laughs) cool Like, i want to know that stuff like you can also call me and tell me it's awesome and it's the best thing ever like that's cool too but i Uh, but i do want to know like if anybody runs into stuff and the one thing i would tell you with those it's it dude that fixture and that bulb it's not an incandescent and like i can't stress that enough if your animal can get within like six inches of that thing it's a heat laser so it's meant to really focus the heat and really throw it far so make sure like when you set it up you turn it on and like Take your animal out. Give it, you know, an hour. Go check temps. Adjust the height or the angle until you get it right and then get your animal in there. And that's something we all should do when we get new – like when we start with a different type of bulb is make sure it's good. But I think over time, everybody's like, I've been doing this long enough. It's a good bulb. It'll be good. But that that dome and that fixture is a different animal that most people just have never run into before. Oh, yeah. My heat gun is sitting right next to the cage. I checked the temperature like – 10
0: times yesterday when I hooked it up. I will tell you the one thing that I think is the coolest thing for that whole thing. is not the bulb. I don't give a shit about how it focuses the light. It's the fact that I can attach it to the screen lid with those little spring clips. Yep. It won't fall off the top of my cage.
2: Yeah. So our, our, uh, uh, our premium standard black domes have those too. And it was kind of funny cause we, we dropped the old clamp and said no more clamp. And we made these little springs instead. And, are some of the sales team was like, oh, I have I have a store that said they'll never carry it again because it doesn't have the clamp. And I'm like, because um, for chickens, like, are they mad that it's not going to fall into your enclosure because the clamp slipped and burn your house down? I don't know why they're upset. Like, I have a box of 60 clamps in my closet that I've never used. Like, it, So it, to me, it was just a, a way better way, more secure option. The other thing, too, is it, it makes it so you don't have to, like you're not going to knock the bulb as much. It keeps it a lot more sturdy. You actually get longer bulb life out of like even your incandescence in that dome because of those springs.
0: Well, like, I don't get the cord eventually having enough weight to kind of like tip it over on its side. Cause it's hanging off the back. And then also the fact, I mean, I didn't have to use them because I needed the heat, but the fact that you do have those legs that if you need to raise it some to adjust the heat, if it's too hot, you can get it up just a little bit to bring the temperature down. Those legs that come with it are really cool too.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it's just that little bit extra to adjust it if you need to. Um, and if you, people take the time and sit there and do it, you you get what you're looking for. Um, and it, it gives you a lot more options to really dial it in versus a standard dome with a clamp. You're not going to get that.
0: Yeah, there, I remember so many times of having to rig up clamps with like screws and tie wire just so they wouldn't slip off eventually and burn something.
2: Yep, no, all of mine were like sort of roped to the ceiling as well as like <laughs> yeah, sticking it somewhere because I've got like a a you know freaking clip going through the screen, kind of twisting it on, and then and then we came up with these, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's way cooler. Like <laughs> that, that, that's 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 yes. way easier now, man. Um, uh, and then the
0: last one on this one was uh, Scott Iper who. Uh, Funny enough, a lighting system that incorporates UV into a lockable rack with clear tubs. We already talked about it, Scott. You're behind
2: <laughs> those pro soles. depending on your rack, those pro souls actually are so low profile they could they can fit between the tubs of some of some units. So check them out. Um, you can find them on like Amazon. Actually, even Petco has them. Um, it's the pro so bulb or fixtures They're It's totally customizable. I mean, you can add a ton of UV with no heat. My lychees have UV and L- plant LEDs in it. Um, I use it for everything and you can totally customize it for what you want it to do. Well, hey, yeah, definitely.
1: Like, I, I searched it and I definitely have it saved now. I'm gonna look yeah, into this. They're more.
2: super cool. Like, I, I, there's, I mean, and it's not like a, oh, you know, I, I work at Zilla. Like, I only like Zilla stuff. I can tell you some stuff that we do that absolutely needs to change, and I'm working on it because it's like, no, I don't use that. It's crap. Don't touch it. Like, let me fix it first. <laughs> like, there's definitely stuff like that, but at the same time. Like there's some stuff like the mini halogen stuff that we're doing and the things we're doing with the small lighting, the mini UV bulbs, the little mini coils, they put out more UV than four of my five competitors, 20 watt bulbs. And it's six watts like it's and they're super small and super high output. They're really cool. Um, And that's something where we we beat it down until we found that sweet spot. And it did a lot of research with them. And we worked really hard to get something that could compete with like a bigger bulb, but it's tiny um so now we're able to do like like i said you could do full spectrum lighting with plant leds then you can do uva and uvb bulbs and then you can do ceramic night heat emitter and a daylight and it's all in one fixture
0: so let me since i got you here let me ask you what is the distance from bulb to animal if it's on top of a screen lid how close do you have to have that uv bulb to the to really get the full effect
2: so all the coils and all the bulbs that we have, we, and it's an industry standard. They measure it at 12 inches. So when you're looking at the microwatts, like our desert 50 coil, or our which I call our pro series coil, um, that coil bulb at 12 inches produces 55 microwatts of UVB. So, and that's kind of, it's, it's, it's difficult. It's kind of funny. I actually looked for a really long time. Cause I was like, all right, is that enough? Is it too much? Like, where's the studies that show, how much UVB an animal has access to throughout the day, and the answer is there are none out there. And even since UV bulbs have been have been were invented by you know Gary Bagnell and Zoomed basically back in like 1986, we just kind of winged it, and then just like if it hurts, if the animal's eyes get hurt or it gets messed up, then it's too much. And then if like they start dying of MBD, then it's too little. Um, so I'd, I'd love to say that like there's a perfect spot. But it's really just watching your animal and, and those bulbs. I mean, just give them a gradient. Give them a chance to get really close to a bulb if they need to, but also back off if they want to. Um, and the animals know what they need. So you just got to give them the opportunity to find it.
0: Well, that's why I like uh, I like two people. I Dave Kaufman, when he goes places, he takes his little UV meter
2: and he's measuring UV where he's there at the spot where the animal lives. That's cool. I yelled at him and told him he needs to start doing that. And then I gave him the crap to do it. <laughs> and then uh,
0: well, the uh, beyond the glass and he does, i know he takes a lot of measurements too when he's out there doing so the beyond the glass stuff yeah
2: so beyond the glass is actually a zilla video series yep. um me me and mike clarkson i was on the phone with him one day and we just got into like we were both in a weird spot and we just got into this just ranting complaining about the hobby and just being frustrated. And like people are like, you know, look at how many people do crested gecko videos on YouTube and they tell you how to take care of it. But I promise they have no idea where they come from. Like they've never even seen their habitat, but they're going to tell you cause they read a care sheet that was written by someone else that read a care sheet that was written by someone else that read a care sheet, but none of them and it could tell show you on a map where they come from. And then even then they're wrong because they don't come from where people think they come from. So I was like, dude, I mean, Mike, like, you know what? He's like, we should do a series where we go find reptiles. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, the days of Jeff Corwin and Steve Irwin, like, are gone. Unless something's inside you are going to kill you. Nobody cares. So I'm like, we got, it kills me inside. (laughs) Like, I love learning about that stuff. So I'm like, we got to do something different. We can't just make an adventure series. Too many people do that. I'm like, but what if we... What if you go find these animals in the wild? We, I'll send you out there. We'll give you a list. We're going to hit these species in these different habitats. What if we did that, but... I'd send you with UV meters, light meters, temperature gauges, uh, just every single type of habitat parameter that you'd want to know. And you can find the animal and then sit down right where you found it and take all those measurements. And he got, he's like, dude, that's actually kind of cool. We should do that. And that's where that idea came from. So I bought all the equipment. I sent it out to him, and we, we started planning it out. Um, and then we started producing the episodes, and and it's it's just been a super cool ride.
0: And I, I love the fact that, and look like, at Mammoth stage, I don't know. He found a Calabar's burrowing python, and I thought that was awesome.
2: Oh yeah, like and no, that actually that was the one thing that's been super cool. So I'll be honest, when we go out there, we do have like we have contacts for like exporters and stuff. So if we're gonna go out there and we want to find something, I can't send him somewhere for two weeks, spend all that money, and he doesn't find it. So we do have that stuff on backup, and we know the people, but we actually haven't had to do that yet. All of the animals in the first two seasons that he actually found out
1: there—that's cool.
2: Yeah, so none of them have been staged yet.
1: And like, thanks for and, and being we don't real about staging them too. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. no, not it's that you have, thing, but like... the possibility that you would have to, because that makes sense. You're not going to send someone out there and they get nothing out of it.
2: Oh, right. Well, and like, if he's like, I can't just be like, dude, it's a two, you got two weeks of shooting, you got time in between your job. Like he does this as a side business. And like, because he was excited about the project. So we really went into it with like, we're both going to put into this and do this. And, and I'm like, you know, you go out there, you only have this much time. I can't be like, sorry, dude. I know you got to shoot shark week, but it doesn't matter. You're stuck (laughs) in the middle of Indonesia for two weeks till you find that snake. Like, so, and that's, that's the reality. Like even Steve Irwin and all that stuff we used to watch a tons of that was staged because you have to make sure you get that shot. So, sometimes there's maybe not enough time in the in a time frame or the only time you can be in that area maybe isn't the best time of year for it or so your chances aren't as great or you know so there's a lot of limiting factors like anybody who's gone out herping do, I, there you, you've never you can't tell me every time I go out I find exactly what I want every time all the time like that doesn't happen you well, know if you had a camera crew with you you would well exactly and then you got a guy with one in your pocket um, <laughs> yeah. but, but like we haven't had to do that yet which has been super cool and that's what's fun because when Mike's out there shooting I'll be on the phone with him at like three 30 in the morning while he's out in, in you know, the desert in the morning in Africa and suffer the daytime and we're, we're chatting. And he's like, dude, I seriously just found this. It's the coolest thing ever. I can't believe we ran across this. The ball Python was one. He, he literally, they almost tripped on it and he's like, I we knew that where they would be, but like, you know, ball pythons, it's not going to be out. What's the chance that you're going to find it on the day it decides to go out for an hour of the 24 hour day. Like, it's a super slim chance. But when he was out there, he, he called me and he's taking pictures and I get all these behind the scenes pictures because they're out there playing around and and it's just super cool. I'm like, dude, I hate you. I wish I was there. It's so dumb that you I couldn't make it.
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So our second question this week, again, kind of aimed because I know I had you on the podcast. What is your favorite commercially available reptile slash amphibian product and why? Uh, Ooh. And I guess. I got some good ones on you. Uh, Justin yeah. Smith said the Draco and Python portals, which I think those are really awesome. Uh, have you seen those that they turn tubs into a uh, sliding glass cage? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I have I seen I was like, those. what are we
1: talking about? Yeah.
0: yeah those are cool. Yeah, I think that's one of the neatest things that's been made for the hobby. I think a lot right. green trees. Super. Them. Yep. Yeah.
2: Super innovative. I mean, it kind of was nice because that's like a step up from when uh, when Sterilite make those front access tubs and everybody lost their crap and yeah. then and then, <laughs> and then realized oh you actually have to modify them a lot to make this an actual thing. Yes. Yep. <laughs> but like so, seeing that and then seeing something like that, I've seen those and that's that's super unique and that that gets me just as excited as when I get to produce products is seeing other people be creative and design something niche and unique and and I love that stuff. It's I I mean like. I I wish I would have thought about that, but at the same time, I, anything that anybody's doing to improve the hobby or make something more unique or bring more access to keepers to to be able to be, do better husbandry, I don't care if I can do it or not. If somebody out there is doing it, absolutely rock it and go do it. Like everybody should be thinking of different ways that they can improve their the the hobby and husbandry.
0: Well, Travis Wyman said he learned about. A new p- computer program. You listen to a podcast. There's a computer program out there that would allow you to trace the lineage of your animals and help you avoid inbreeding.
1: Hold on, Ryan. Is James' voice totally deep right now, or is it yeah, just super
0: me? Super new. <laughs> I think it's the la- like The later it gets,
2: and I'm pretty tired. No, dude. It's no, like, dude. This it's, is definitely no, like <laughs> you, you. Yeah. You sound. You sound like a creepy dude in a movie. Like real. Yeah. Yo, dude, let's go over there. Oh my god. (laughs) No, no, keep going. This is entertaining. I know, dude,
1: seriously. (laughs) When you listen back to this, you're going to die.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I'll just i need to start talking higher pitch so that it sounds normal
2: yeah you just sound like you kind of have like a little bit of a sinus infection but you're yeah. closer to normal
0: oh god Oh god. <laughs> okay anyways so tra- now i'm, now I'm like really self-conscious about fuck you guys all right
2: so, uh, I'm, crying. Anyways, I'm laughing so hard sh-
0: shut up april you missed last week you don't get to say anything
2: okay fair (laughs) enough all i'm saying is like uh, dude if you're not married and you don't have a girlfriend you need to use this voice more often it's real (laughs) sultry you're getting me a little excited oh goodness, Uh, that was my goal
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, anyways Um, travis i do think it would be cool to be able to trace lineages of certain species certain animals um i don't i don't know how how useful it is like like ball pythons at this point i don't know if you could trace there's just so many people breeding them It seems like tracing them would be nearly impossible.
2: So there used to be a website back in the day called iHerp, and that was kind of what it did. Is it actually you could kind of log in your animals and it would help produce your lineages. And I think there's some programs like that back there. The problem with it with them is it only works if we all as a community really start to use it because you can only trace it back into an animal unless that, you know you're going to get to a point where you're not going to know its lineage and then you're stuck. The, the other thing people need to know is like, I know lineage like crested gecko. People are getting real pressed on lineage and I get it at the same time. Every animal in the world came from like 40. So I don't care who you got it from. And if it's great, great, great grandparents aren't related. It's still related. Like the, the entire population of Chihuahua in the world came from 40 animals. For, it's 40 or 60 but it's that's it and like that's that's all that's ever coming out of new caledonia and it's the same thing with like the agricole Aust- and a lot or, of those we all yeah, australia. australia like bearded dragons yeah. all of them in the u.s came from like two dozen it, ever almost
1: any species that we say in the u.s came from a very small amount and you can do as much outcrossing you know as possible but it's it's still not gonna really well, help. i mean you. look
0: at bearded dragons in, in america They're technically breeding multiple species of bearded dragons together because that's what we have. And uh, most people owning a bearded dragon don't realize that what they own is only one of a bajillion different species of bearded dragon. Like there's a whole bunch in Australia – and they don't all look that way. <laughs>
2: well, what, what's happening, actually... So the bearded dragons in the US, they're actually... Most most of them are Pagona viticeps. But what you're seeing is is um, the genetic bottleneck. So it's kind of like when you look at dogs that have been line-bred, like German shepherds, what they look like now versus in the 1800s, because they've been... Or, or English bulldogs. And you're starting to see the same thing happen in reptiles, where the genetic bottleneck is so tight that you're seeing stumpy little faces and weird things... Like like leopard geckos are one that actually got hybridized a lot because of all the different subspecies of leopard geckos um, and getting different genetic morphs from them. But that also has a genetic bottleneck from inbreeding.
0: Yeah, like I said, I think it, like you said it's very hard for us to truly have an idea of lineages of snakes and lizards and all this nowadays, just because I mean not everybody's going to do it. And things change hands so many times yeah. for some of and these animals.
2: I, I've really wanted to do something like that. I had thought about doing it and kind of finding a way to maybe like tie it into us or something where we could really do almost like a, like an AZA database of animals and track it like the AZA does. The problem is keepers just don't find value in that, but that could be a massive step to really validating what we're doing with breeding and captivity. Um, as more than just a pet. And that's something that I've kind of had to realize. And, and we did an episode with Mike Clarkson about, you know, captive conservation, conservation and captivity and things and the wildlife conservation and, and that, that idea uh, that we all use and have used in the past of like, you know, conservation through captive propagation. And the problem is, and even with the invisible Ark, is that, like, the reality is there, there's zero chance of any of our animals ever going back into the wild ever for any reason ever. It will never happen because we don't know the lineages. We don't know how to track it. Um, Even if crested geckos went extinct, like they're going to be 20 generations into eating powder that you mix with water and put in their cage in a bowl. They're not going to live in the wild. Like it's they're just not going to. Um, You mean they can't find the the powder flower? Oh right, yeah, exactly. Like they're not going to go out and like, oh, there's my Pangea bowl. Like so, like you, you can't do it. And even with species where like you might be able to keep them a little bit more wild, it's still just not going to be like that. So when when people are talking like conservation um, and, and captive propagation for conservation, we're act or conservation through captive propagation. We're conserving the 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 diversity within the hobby. But people need to understand that it has zero to do with wildlife conservation. Um, but that was an episode on that podcast that we talked about, and it was a big eye opener, I think, for a lot of people. That the hot, as much as I don't want this to sound bad, and it does, we really are producing commodity or producing a pet it's a and it's only a pet and it's it's a way for us to to um especially with with animals that maybe come from the wild or that we're working on captive breeding and we're able to get people to introduce to these species that really like get them Excited about where that animal come from, and maybe they get excited about that animal's conservation in the wild. Um So it gives them a little bit of a, a path to the real world and nature, and and getting out. And hopefully, it does that. But it's there's never going to be a time where hatching out crested geckos or ball pythons or anything in captivity ever has an effect on on actual wildlife. It's, like I mean, it's a kinda... nice
1: thought, but.
2: Yeah, it's just, but it's not reasonable. But if we did something where we actually were tracking from the first wild caught animals through generations in captivity, and we're tracking that, um, like the AZA does, that actually would could potentially lead to a road like that. Um, there's still more to it, but it would may open up zoos to be more willing to work with the, the private hobby again. Um, just because even if it is eating a commercial diet, it would have. Very clear, distinct genetics that we could trace back um, and and that they could get record of. And then the zoos could work with that new genetics line and then they could do the work they needed or the conservation initiatives could do the work they needed to get those animals ready to be released in the wild and get them used to the wild. Um, But right now we can't even give them genetic quality that they can trust. And that's the problem.
0: So Scott Iper's uh, product that he likes, and I, I'm assuming it's because he's having issues with using our system of measurement. But he said the the habitat 24 foot forceps. Uh, I, I believe that's supposed to say 24 inches.
1: Did he really say 24 foot?
0: It, it says 24 and it has one little apostrophe instead of the. So. That's that's how I feed my Maclots, dude. I have a 24 foot. <laughs> well, that's
1: needed. Literally needed. Yeah,
2: it is. <laughs> Dennis
0: Wyman did ask him what the hell kind of hots are you feeding that needs 24 foot. And he said, <laughs> he said, tie pants. So,
2: well, I don't know if you saw that article, but if a tie pant, like if a king cobra gets out in Florida and it hybridizes with an anaconda that hybridizes with a retic, it'll make a 900 foot poisonous snake. Good lord. I <laughs> can, you know, like, that that's right. How, that's how genetics work. Like, I'm, you know, six foot. And my yep. my daughter's mom is five foot, and that's why my kids are going to be eleven feet because it's yep, that's additive.
1: Exactly how it works.
0: <laughs> oh, science!
2: Uh,
0: <laughs> Travis Wyman, he had another one. He said, "Not designed specifically for reptiles." Travis, that was the point of the question. It was <laughs> for reptiles. Damn you, Travis! But he said uh, he would. He loves his smart outlet power strips, which I do have. Smart plugs, and I do love them. Yes, they are not uh, branded for reptiles, but I would suggest to anybody that's interested. Like, they're great. You can set timers for them if you want lights on them, and you also can see how much power they're pulling, give you an idea of how much power you're using. Because I think a lot of people plug like their snake racks and stuff into a wall and have no idea if they're near the limit of what their room can hold. Oh, absolutely. They, they have no idea what they're pulling. No, no idea what kind of wattage is being used.
2: They just plug it in and if nothing
0: trips, we're good.
2: And that's why you go to Zilla stuff, because we're super energy conscious. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Ta-da! Uh, I did it. That's, that's all I got. Done. <laughs> Darren, that's all I got.
0: Darren Watson said uh, forest floor bedding. He likes that.
2: So forest, forest floor bedding is a zoomed product, and uh, it, it's, it's a great bedding. Um, it's cypress mulch. So, like, if that's something you really like, you can also get it at Home Depot for $3. <laughs> <laughs> I love
0: that when he's like, "If it was Zilla, I'd be like it's a great product, everybody should buy it." But it's uh, made by Zoom. Yeah, Ad, we so don't
2: make no, any cypress mulch, so I'm not too worried about it. But definitely go to Home Depot and get yourself some cypress mulch. That's there.
0: because cypress mulch is harder to get than cocoa bedding,
2: right? No one of the one of the beddings that again I used before I even was working with Zilla. Jungle mix is the oh my god, I love jungle mix when it comes to bedding. Um, it's a a, a sphagnum peat like Douglas fir bark crunched mixture um and it's just an awesome 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 tropical substrate
0: well i had uh let's see dominique said her favorite was uh, her favorite product is reptichip uh which i've been using reptichip for the last year and a half or so uh
2: i like that i mean it's reptichip it's... reptichip is one that's funny to me man because like do you ever remember, like, Exoterry used to make blocks of cocoa chips. It wasn't... Yeah. And like, everybody hated it. and Nobody wanted it. And then these and and you could find these blocks of this stuff at like garden centers and stuff forever. And nobody used it. And everybody's like, "Eh, No, it's kind of crappy, whatever. I like using this. But then these guys launched this in a brick, and they got like the right guys to use it and the right Python. Yeah. And now everybody's like, it's the greatest thing I've ever seen. And I'm like, I know. I can't believe it's been around for 20 years. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I I like it for my rainbow boas. It allows me to like quickly, if I want to just pump up. I mean, my rainbow boas have a, a humidity hide, but I can also spray down the entire cage and just like pump up the humidity in the cage if I want to, uh, which has triggered them to breed before. I found that trick. I was like, oh, yeah. oh
2: we'll just spray it down and then you'll get Randy. Rain and storms, man. It's all about the rain and storms. Yeah, I threw them together during the hurricane. They didn't do shit. I get lucky because like, and this is kind of bad. Erica gets migraines when, sto- when the weather changes and there's a big storm coming. So like, she's better than the weather channel. And if she's like, honey, I I got this killer migraine. I got to go lay down. I'm like, cool. I'm going to the back room to put all the snakes together. Like, <laughs> I'm like, is it a bad migraine or is it one that's kind of not too bad? And she's like, oh no, this is a doozy. And I'm like, yep. Everybody's having sex tonight. <laughs> Except for you, Except exactly. For you. <laughs> Except for me, I'm like I'm gonna go make the snakes get it on, and then I'm gonna sleep on the couch and ask if like, you if you need anything.
0: It's like the oh, let's do this. She's like, I've got a headache. Well, <laughs> it's bad yep. for me, but here we go, baby. Exactly.
2: Time. I'm like, I gotta find the silver lining, man. The silver lining of her having a migraine is that I know my snakes want to get you know get down. Like at least somebody in the house is getting laid, and that's it. You gotta you gotta take the wins where you get it.
0: That's so funny. Uh, Scott Iper had another one. This is where you can tell Scott is from Australia because his next one is Midwest Ultralight 24 inch tall. uh, It says 24 foot, but 24 inch uh, hook. Uh, Now you know it's just someone who's playing with venomous snakes. His two things are trying to keep his venomous snakes away from him.
2: Dude, you actually so Venom Life Gear uh what used to be get hooked and like so uh um Woody and Brent, I mean, dude, they make some awesome hooks. They make a Viper series hook. It's a real thin, pencil thin little hook, and it comes like you can get 20, 24 inches. The hook on it's maybe two inches. It's real small. I there it's a light, almost t- it's aluminum, but it's like it almost feels like titanium. It's super light. I freaking love those hooks. There's at least 15 of them in my in my reptile room. Cause like I, I can it's not even just hooking small snakes, but I can get my maclots and I can just control their head without having to be maneuvering this giant hook. And it's ah, oh, it's seriously the best hook I, hooks I've ever bought.
0: Well, as uh, last line on Snakes and Stogies, Phil said, "Get hook, His get hook snake hook is uh, his favorite item. Oh yeah, and then he and they talked about they have and I looked it up. They have it's the weirdest. Have you seen the the tub opening? Tool. Yeah, dude, I have
2: the prototypes. Like those guys are good friends of mine. I hang out with them all the time. And like Brent gave me one. He's like, I made this. I don't know if it's cool. Somebody else kind of wanted it. He's like, go use it. And uh, we have a we have a rack that my wife calls Arkham uh because everything in it wants you to die. So <laughs> So like it takes two people to open a tub because there was like olive pythons in there and all this stuff where like It opens a crack and they shoot out and bite you five times when you blink. So so we got the tub opener and I'm like, I'll go try it out. And that was a life changer, dude, to be able to pull open a tub with 24 inch tongs, feed them, and then they go back in and shut it like anybody who's doing hots or has snakes that are a little bit more excitable. You know that it's we use them all the time. It's super, super cool little thing to have.
0: Yeah, if you haven't seen it, go go check out Get Hooked Snake Hooks. It's it's a snake hook-like handle, but on the end is a little square welded to the end of it that will fit just underneath the lip of your tub to pull out, and then it's flat so it can help you push it back in.
2: Yeah, between that and the little Viper Series hook, like I said, like a 20, 22, 24-inch hook that's real thin and easy to maneuver. And I can, I've can i got an 8-foot uh, an Timor Python that she's usually okay, but sometimes she's a little bit cranky but all i need to do is get enough of the hook on her head that i can keep her head pointed a different direction i don't want to be in her cage maneuvering a three-foot hook in a six-foot cage and and like this makes it so easy to maneuver in the cage and just keep their heads away and keep them busy um and then do what i got to do without having a big hook to have to handle like it's 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 one of the most useful tools i have
0: Which is weird because I I could definitely see seeing it for the first time going, well, that's stupid as hell.
2: Oh, yeah. You look at it and I'm like, what do you do? Pick up your corn snake, you freaking whiner. Oh, my God. (laughs) But then like when you start working with some of these other snakes, I'm like, oh, no, actually, I really I only need a 20 inch little tiny hook. It's big enough at the end for me to like even if I'm just using it to push them. It's just a small, it gives me enough control to maneuver easily and just push them away and keep them distracted and do my work that I got to do without having to like, all right, I'm getting out the Timor. Erica, can you come help me? I got to bag her up or something so I can get in there and clean the cage because she's going to mess up my day if I don't. In this, I can just, all right, honey, get out of the get out of the get out of the hide. I'll poke you over here, and then I'm gonna get you into this hide. Just kind of guide your head in, and then you're all happy, and you get in there, and I can clean your cage. And if you poke your head out, I can just tap it on the nose, and she pops back in. You know, and I'm not using this 36 inch thing. I'm trying to do all this at the same time. It's and it's lightweight. I mean, it's you can spin it in your fingers like a pen. It's super cool.
0: And then let's see. So that was all I had for the products. Then we had our things that our our listeners normally post throughout the week. And again, man, Scott Iper was popular on Facebook this past week. Uh, he said his wife formed a group called uh, on Facebook called Herpers H E R capitalized Pers, which is I think similar I saw to, that. Well, that's similar to April. There's a group that you're in that's a, a female mm-hmm. keeper yep. group as well. They
1: actually just made shirts too that say that says Herping is for everyone, and the her part is a different color. So yeah, reminded me of that. <laughs> yeah,
2: well, I got I got three little girls, man. I am all for women in the hobby, and like my 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 six year olds when they were four, we went and did a reptile show at this, at this did this event, and I did a talk on native species and had some tanks in the back, and and like these high school kids are like, oh, what's this? And this tiny teeny little four year old comes up and she's like, that's a Euromastix and that's a ball python, and that's a corn snake. And I'm like, ah, it's so cool. Like I have like, and me and Erica have conversations all the time too, about like just women in the hobby and like you ladies need some more respect. Like that's absolutely a thing. Uh, But, but it's, I I totally support that. I think it's some of the most amazing and brilliant women in this hobby uh, that are people I know are women in the hobby that just get totally passed over. Or like even Erica, like she's, she's a, she's a certified vet tech that's worked 13 years with exotics She's done some of the most incredible things that I... I could tell you stories that would just blow your mind of her knowledge but she's super quiet about it she's not out there you know blatant and telling everybody she's published you know she's a published author like on on emergency veterinary medicine and but at the same time people will come up to me and ask me a veterinary question and I'm like ask her she's the that you know she's the person she's on the board for the Association of Reptile Amphibian Veterinarians she's one of the top medical reptile minds in the country why are you asking me and I know they're just asking me I'm the guy and yep. it drives me absolutely crazy
1: and that's a very very common thing too so it's nice that we have that group so beginners to intermediate expert if you want to call anyone an expert keeper um they all of everyone comes together super supportive. You know, if you just got your first ball python, we are excited for you. Um, Because there's some things that women in a male dominated industry have to kind of go through and maneuver around and some people get, you know, the bad parts of that worse than others. So it's nice kind of to have a group that you don't have to deal with any of that and just have a supportive, you know, group that really can lift everyone up and then truly help people out. Like, um, we ask anyone can ask any questions on there and don't get shit from, you know, like other groups where you go in and ask a question and people just like tell you how dumb you are and you don't know what you're talking about, blah, blah, blah. That's just not the case in this group. So it's really nice to have that kind of outlet.
2: So, yeah, sorry, I'm freaking out. Erica just came in here. There's, I have a starry night read frogs on my (laughs) my desk and they bred. There's tadpoles in there. That's awesome. Dude, they call all the time. If you listen to our podcast, you'll hear them calling all the time. It drives me nuts. And I was looking over there and I'm like, oh, what's, is there a worm in there? Holy crap, there's a crap load of tadpoles in there. That is awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, like, congrats, guys. Yeah. All right. Like, I didn't even know that was a thing. I was hoping they were breeding. I know it's a trio. They're getting big already. Yeah, and I'm. I looked over there and I'm like, oh, there's something wiggling. I'm like, oh, cool. It's probably mosquito larvae One with the freaking mosquitoes. Big, getting bigger. Yeah. She apparently this might be actually a couple clutches. Well, sweet. Dang. We have we're gonna have some baby Starry Night Reed Frogs. Rad. That's like a last. I caught a. Uh... <laughs>
0: I caught a centipede in my house a few weeks back, and I kept it because I was like, "I want to feed this thing," and I haven't got it to eat yet. But then I went to check on it last night, and I'm like, "Man, she looks weird." And I realized inside of her legs is a giant mass of eggs that she's carrying around. So I now have a centipede that's carrying around centipede eggs. Uh, so I'm going to have baby centipedes at some point. That's which awesome! Would be really
2: cool. I love pedlings. There's and it, because you get to call them pedlings too, which is like. <laughs> Kind of adorable. Like there's so many things, like slings and things like that. And I'm like, "Okay, so I found that out
0: on your your podcast." I always knew. Well, I knew what a sling was. I mean, I knew it was a baby spider, but I never realized it stood for spiderling. Which because we
2: have we have to shorten an already not that hard word. (laughs) But we're reptile people, man. We only got so much. I only got so much room in my brain. And if you can take out four letters of that, that's that's four letters I can use for something else, like swear words. Those those are important. (laughs) exactly there's a lot of four-letter words that i need to keep in my head uh the next
0: thing we had was uh ratliff put a video up from a youtube channel i had never seen before and i I watched it was called uh l's reptiles and it was about reptiles and kids uh which is interesting she has four kids two-year-old four-year-old 11-year-old 13-year-old and she kind of goes through the levels at which is probably the safest way to have like the two-year-old obviously is not holding the animals you're holding it they're touching it uh the four-year-old maybe kind of gets to hold like a ball python because it's not going to move much but they're not holding crested echoes you know the 11 year old can hold the crested geckos, and the 13 year old can pretty much do whatever um within you know obviously not they're not grabbing like rattlesnakes but <laughs> uh it was a, just an interesting video and then anybody that watches it goes over and checks out our channel um if you're not from the South, she's gonna sound funny because she is. I was listening to it. I was like, "Damn, she is from somewhere in the South." And I looked up. I looked on her on a, on YouTube, and they have a PO box in Decatur, Alabama. And I'm from Alabama, and I was like, "Yeah, she's from there."
2: Dude, one of our sales guys at one point it was, it was. He does not work with us anymore. It sucks. He a super cool guy, but he was the like most Cajun Louisiana like <laughs> swamp guy. Like I'd listen to him and I'm like, everything you said sounded cool, but I don't know what you said. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: that starts about an hour south of me, about an hour south of me that that voice picks up and uh, it can be tricky sometimes.
2: Yeah, no, but at the same time, I'm like, that was cool. Can you say it again? I am not going to understand it again, even if you go slow, but just say it again so I can be happy. It, like, <laughs> always
0: crack, it always cracks me up when watching, like, uh, interviews with LSU football coach, Coach O, and they put subtitles. I'm like, I, I understand the man.
2: Why, do, why does he have subtitles? Well, apparently I have a pretty gnarly accent because I'm up from, you know, the north. So you got to watch out for that.
1: I don't hear it often. <laughs> I haven't really yeah, No, I, it
2: yet. I, I haven't said yet or hey. And I think that's <laughs> – I don't know. We get, we get told we have – I get told all the time. Like, oh, you have, like, that – midwestern accent and i'm like i can pronounce words clearly like i guess that's an accent maybe maybe i'm just a dick but i feel like that's kind of it what a dick (laughs) yeah that guy what a prick uh the next thing someone posted it was
0: uh jen strickland posted two things the first one was a clip from a place called sunshine coast snake catchers 24 7 so in australia and they had to go remove this huge carpet python from this kid's bed like it had crawled up It was cold outside. had gone inside and curled up in the kid's uh, electric blanket and was laying in the bed. And so it was just removing this big old carpet python, which which is just so weird because here I'm like, yeah, found a rat snake. They're like, yeah. Found a coastal carpet python. Like, but you know you know, you know why They're- it
2: was in his bed, though, dude. It was sizing him up. Sizing him up. Oh, my yeah. God. He <laughs> <laughs> was
0: waiting for the
2: kids to lay next to him. Yeah. like to eat for a few weeks. I love when people bring that story up. I'm like, no, totally. That's absolutely what happened. You know what? I watched a documentary on uh, African lions, and before they kill a buffalo, they lay by it. And they just make sure that they can kill it. And they ask it questions about where it's going to be. Like, hey, you walk into your car alone later? And then they they figure it out, and then they go kill it because that's how animals work. Yes,
1: I'm gonna There's use used- that because every- <laughs> gosh, how many people ask that? Well,
2: my, I always go yes because in the
1: wild.
0: Snakes ant- lay right
2: next to the rabbit. Gosh, I know. Well, every prey species is like, oh, you're gonna eat me tomorrow. Well, are you cool. sure? Let's <laughs> let me let me cuddle with you. I'll stretch out like gonna? Yeah, You might want to eat my brother. He's a little smaller or like, I might be good. I'm pretty fulfilling. I feel like I've, I've lived a good life and I'm ready to be digested. So I, I, I'll be here tomorrow. Meal.
0: I had a big meal. I don't think you can swallow me whole. <laughs> uh,
2: I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll be here tomorrow, man. Like just come back. I'll be right here around this hole, probably about three o'clock. Like you can ambush me if it makes you feel better or I'll just lay there. Cause you know, like frozen thawed, that's what you do. You just stick it in their face and they're like, cool. And they eat it. So like, I'll just do that for you if you want. That's how prey work.
0: Yeah, have you gone a couple of days without eating? Are you Are you ready to eat? Do you are to you wait? okay?
2: Are you sure? Are you sure you're okay? Because you know, it's it's been three days since you ate. In- uh, yeah. i hear that again
1: uh, though i swear
2: Man. you will it oh you all will the time. Yeah, i love cutting people off they're like oh my god my aunt told me about a story nope, with a snake I do that and too. i'm <laughs> like and i'm like was laying next to a lady and then it was sizing her off to eat her and they're like oh my god you heard that too and i'm like yeah because everyone's uncle had that happen yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's really weird how everybody's uncle had the snake lay next to him and the vet told him it was gonna eat him yep Like, uh, you know, I don't know why we call them ambush predators because they're really cuddly, wuddly predators.
0: (laughs) Where where did
1: we even start? How did that come up?
2: The
0: The snake removal that in the the back. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Because
0: it was (laughs) going to eat them. Yeah. Damn, stay with with us. Come on.
1: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, I was thinking when y'all were talking that, not that story, but. We're just like wow, a carpet python sneaks into your house, and you were saying like a rat snake sneaks into mine. There, people in Australia are probably like, man, I wish I could get a rat snake sneaking into oh, my God. house.
2: That's probably like, true. Like, yeah, I know some guys there, and they're like, seriously, dude, if you can get a corn snake in your prison wallet and get it over here, I got some mad <laughs> money for you. And I'm like, <laughs> like or like, can you get me? Can you get me a painted turtle? And I'm like, oh, I can probably get you like I don't know between one and eighty seven thousand on the pond next to me. <laughs> and they're like. It, oh Jesus, this no dream animal for us, and I'm like, dude, you own a Perenti. and he's right. like, he's like, he's like, yeah, who doesn't? It's not a big deal, and I'm like, uh uh-huh. <laughs> my my kid <laughs> handles king him? browns. Yeah, I just went outside and tripped on, you know, a shingle back. I it was I was sick of it being in my yard, so I threw it over the fence, and then there was seven more the next day. Like there's squirrels here, and I'm like, oh yeah, poor life, poor you. Shut up.
0: Well, that's this next. <laughs> This next story is also Australia. It's a video, and, like, they show it in, like, um infrared and heat, so you can see it happening. But it's a, a mother Cunningham skink fighting off a brown snake because she has a whole bunch of babies around her. And she actually, like, attacks a brown snake and fights it off. I'm like, that's a badass skink to take
2: on a brown snake. Dude, there, some of the maternal instincts of reptiles are just incredible. Like... That's one thing I actually was having a a conversation with one of the VPs at work today. I was like, you know, we were talking he was talking about we uh we're testing out some products and he's got some tortoises in his office and and he's like, I just can't believe how amazing these are and they have all these personality. All this personality and they're all different and and I'm like, d- d-? we got into this conversation just about how people just think that reptiles are this prehistoric stupid rock that moves and it's all instinctual but the more we learn about them and the more we research and all these papers that are coming out like they, they're super smart they're teaching a gnolls how to you know go through mazes and stuff and just the, the cognitive abilities of these animals and like the maternal instincts of some of these skinks and rattlesnakes and it's just I, I, I hate hearing because you hear people are like oh your snake doesn't love you snakes can't love and I'm like okay like I have a problem with that because I don't know anybody who can ask them if they do <laughs> and until we yeah. can ask them, I don't think you can get a solid answer. Well, you it's know? like so
0: hundreds even... of millions of years of evolution did not just skip the brain. Like it didn't, right. it didn't go, we're gonna evolve the body, but leave the brain.
2: Yeah, I love when people are like, No, snakes are pretty primitive, and I'm like, Yeah, like I hate how they can smell in 3D and they see infrared. Who can't do that? <laughs> like <laughs> that's like a totally a yeah, that's, like, we're we're making alien movies about pe- like aliens that can do that because they're so advanced. And then we look at a snake and you're like yeah, you're just basically a living rope that eats toads. Who cares? <laughs> like, <laughs> dude, come on! How can you look at that and not be like, "Oh my god, you're so advanced and insane!" They can smell in stereo. It's so cool.
0: Well, that like goes with the next story. So the next story was posted by Victor. Uh, it's, it's a picture of a male garial with hundreds of babies on their back because the males are protective of the baby. And like, it's from what I read. It's you know, it's babies from multiple mothers and. And because you we know, think like alligators, and crocodiles carry babies in their mouths. garials can't really do that. And so they're just piled on his back uh, for safety, which is a whole paternal thing like that. You don't you don't only think of the dad helping raise the baby crocodilians. But in this case, it is. It's got all these little babies on
2: top of it. So totally useless. Random fact about garials. Do you know what that big knob on the, their nose is called? No, it's called the boss.
1: Are you the boss?
2: Yeah, that's called a boss.
1: I felt like I should like. Oh, maybe I actually know this fact, but then you said, it. "I'm like, no, I definitely nope,
2: never." Yeah. It. That's <laughs> where I was, like, I was like, "I've watched, I've watched stuff with
0: Ron Whittaker when I was a kid. I'm sure they said it, and then you said it, it was like, no, Dude, I mean, meeting Ron that Rom that Whittaker thing, I'm
2: like, was no nope. so cool." Like, Rom Whitaker, I was at a croc fest. uh, We go to croc fest in in Florida each year around Christmas, and um, Zilla sponsors it, and we go down there, and we've supported croc conservation since I met Erica. Like, we're both croc nerds, so we've got, you know, broad snout caimans, and I've got a baby West African dwarf croc, and like... Sorry, it's not mine. They're all yours. I try, I got <laughs> animals that every animal that I've like, I've waited my whole life to even touch this. And then I get gifted one and it's like the greatest thing ever. And I still am in disbelief. And then I bring it home and it hates me and it loves her. And I'm like, this is some, this is some, <laughs> I mean, you can't even, whatever. So, but no, like they just, oh man, crocs are awesome. I, we are just, just stupidly nerdy for croc. Half of my reptile library is croc books, but like being down at croc fest, man, you meet people like Ron Whitaker and all these guys who are, I'm buying their books and bringing it down with me. Cause I know they're going to be there and they're like, they're the croc guys. And it's just. You stand next to him, and I'm just like, it's funny because I'm like, people are like, oh, I met like Carrie King or I met you know Johnny Depp, and I'm like, I met Ron Whitaker. Oh my god, <laughs> I saw I saw him at
0: I saw him at Daytona in like 2005, 2006. Just I didn't talk to him, but I saw him there. And I was like, oh shit, that's Ron Whitaker 'cause because he stands out. He's a, I mean, oh yeah, he's a very obvious person when you see him. Uh. But that's the one thing I miss from being a zookeeper. Like I miss working with crocodilians. Yeah, if I had yeah. the if I had the money and the ability, I'd have a Chinese alligator right now.
2: Oh, dude, absolutely. Like that's that's on my list. That's on my list. So we want to work with basically the five smallest species, which is the two, uh, paleosuchus, um, and then the dwarf crocs, the broad snouts, and the Chinese gators. I had so at my zoo. I worked with a dwarf croc, a three legged dwarf croc. He was a dick.
0: Uh, <laughs> I worked with a Chinese alligator. He was amazing. Yeah, like they're the, incredible. The calmest. Uh We did have a dwarf caiman that ended up killing itself by freezing to death. We had a uh, a heated pool like with a jacuzzi heater on. And all the alligators got in there. Nope, this caiman just sits on the other side of the yard. And we come in the next morning, and there it is dead.
2: I'm like, dude, you could have gotten the water. The water has heat coming off of it. Right. Just froze to death. Dude, some some of those more tropical animals, though, they're kind of weird when it comes to that stuff. Like, it's just like a Burmese python, man. Like they were talking about like way back about how they could move. There was a, the report said that in twenty All years the they could. Maybe in New York see? City, and I'm like, yeah. yeah, I'm like, uh huh, because you're looking at the average temps, not the extremes which matter. And but you could take your berm, and I could be in Wisconsin, kick open the door, and like a sliding glass door of the snow, and he'll just be like, cool, I'll go out there. Like they have no self preservation. They're just like. I can see that it's cold because, you know, I can see frickin' heat. But, you know, maybe there's food. We'll check it well, out. Well, it's like every, every winter I'll
0: see in the Sulcata groups on Facebook, someone letting their Sulcata walk around in the snow. And they go, he loves it. Like, stop that. Just because he'll walk out there in the snow doesn't mean you need to drop his body temperature rapidly by letting him walk on ice. No, that's because-
2: why. that's why you just reply, you know what I love? Bashing in your face. And I'm just going to do it because <laughs> it makes me happy. But you're not going to like it. Kind of like he hates what you're doing to him because that hurts. You see how he's not stopped moving? He's looking for the heat again. Yeah, he's, You basically, you might as well throw him on lava. Like, it's the same pain.
0: That one kills Ugh. me. It's every year, every yep. winter. There's always, and, and someone will stand up and go, what are you talking about? Leave him alone. You can see he enjoys it. It's like, really? How? How How do you see the tortoise enjoys freezing?
2: He's wagging his tail. Duh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I need you to go to Africa, the savannas of Africa, and find me the spots where they sit in the snow. Yeah, they just exactly. hang out in the snow all day.
2: Yep. Uh, well, I mean, obviously. Well, and then the people people just don't get it, and that's one thing that that I I really I hope between all the podcasts and the and even the YouTubers and pet tubers sometimes drive me nuts, but. There's still some good ones out there like Dave and and, and and Beyond the Glass and some of that stuff like people who really take it seriously and are educating. But I wish people would take the time to really learn like even the nervous system of reptiles and how it works and how they perceive pain. You can actually take a frog and put it in a, in a, in a pot of cold water and stick it on the stove and it'll swim around like nothing is happening until it boils to death because they don't feel they don't like actively react to slow increases okay. in temperature. Now I'm really worried that somebody did that experiment, and that sounds horrible. Dude, it was the 30s and 40s, man. There was no rules. (laughs) No, but like, that's the same thing with like heat rocks, right? Why would a snake sit on a heat rock until it burns? Because they don't don't feel that slow increase in temperature. And then they're being cooked to death, and they're not feeling it. But if you poke them with a pin, they'll react. So they feel acute pain, but they don't feel slow building pain.
0: That's crazy. Oh, last thing from one of our listeners, Jeff Opst, and I saw this float around all the groups, but that uh, that over fifty year old bull python that had the Partho clutch
2: of eggs, and it was the St. Louis Zoo, I think. That was so rad. That is so cool. I parthenogenesis just blows my mind.
1: Like Dude, I think just the fact another that it example. What, it was forty or fifty years. How old was that snake? Is
2: it, it was. It, it was. It said over forty-six. 50. It said like forty or fifty, and then like all of a sudden it was like sixty and seventy. And every news article had a different number. <laughs> it's a hundred and fifty. <Yeah. laughs> yeah. year you know old old.
1: Even 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 that in the forties so the, the low number. Oh, right. That's impressive.
0: The the, the and and zoos, zoo's post that, says that it was over fifty. Yeah, okay. and people think like, that
1: you know the the reptiles are a short term kind of pets. Like, no, if you actually maybe not feed it every five days, that they'll live a pretty pretty you long have time. To
0: every five days the breeder was doing it i'm gonna do it
2: dude if my snake isn't 15 feet with the head of a children's python then i'm not doing it right <laughs> oh,
0: dude, we I laugh got,
1: but i mean that's real yeah oh yeah, yeah it seriously
2: is
0: i got a boa once that was like that i got a, a male boa that was big enough to be able to eat small rabbits but his head wasn't yeah his head had to eat medium rats until it's i could like, get his head to match his
2: body like why does your retic look like a anaconda like anacondas are just dopey looking because they have tiny heads like that's just the thing that's but, what it's like, supposed you're to look it. like <laughs> yeah like it's not supposed to look like that but like so on the on the the longevity thing like auckland zoo in new zealand had a couple years ago a 108 year old tuatara father some clutches Oof. like that's just the wow. coolest freaking thing ever um, And I've had friends who like like uh, here locally, uh, Rob Carmichael at the Wildlife Discovery Center, anybody in northern Illinois or in the area ever, even when you come to Tinley, you should go check that place out. He has a Komodo dragon and it's this tiny little like hobby farm he turned into a city zoo. It's really cool. Um, But he had a, a, an alligator snapping turtle that was easily over 200 years old. I mean, the thing was incredible. Its head was the size of a cantaloupe or bigger. Yeah.
0: I'm willing to bet though when he's taking care of his snapping turtles, he didn't get the same shit I got down here. I got recipes when I was taking care of our snapping oh, turtles. Oh yeah.
2: Like I it, mean, I, you still get it. Like we still get up here every good snake is a dead snake, and oh that would make a good pair of boots, which I reply, so would your kids, you redneck. Um, yeah, but see, see that's different. <laughs> down here,
0: coon asses are eating everything. And so right. I get I get how great that alligator would taste, how great the snapping turtle would taste, how great everything we took care of. I'm like, guys, just fucking go to a grocery store. Stop it.
2: Right. And like, I'm, I, I, yeah, I'm like, you know, if you hunt stuff and it's legal and, and, and you eat it and power to you, you know, but like, but with that big snapping turtle, it passed away and, and Rob was pretty crushed, you know, cause the thing was just impressive and incredible. It's at the Natural History Museum now. Um, but I told him, I'm like, honestly, dude, you had, it was a rough month. He had a, a green mamba that passed away of old age and then that turtle. And I'm like, at the same time, I'm like, Rob, dude, you, you had like a, that animal lived the longevity of its life with you. That's, in, that's insane. That is, that is a testament to your knowledge and husbandry and dedication. Like if you get an animal like a ball python, that's laying eggs at 50 years old, like that is an incredible statement to the, to the husbandry and the health of that animal, especially because reptiles are just so prone to so many stupid things. Like cancers are rampant in reptiles. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, and it's just it's it's frustrating. I mean, it's one of the most frustrating hobbies to have where you spend a lot of money on an animal, you care for it, everything's perfect, its whole life is perfect, and, and then it, it dies for die. no reason. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, to to get through that for 50 years with an animal that's healthy and still reproducing, I mean, that, honestly, that is cool. That normal ball python laying eggs, even if they were just partho, even if they were infertile, just being a 50-plus-year-old ball python, that's a bigger accomplishment to me than breeding anything. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Now,
0: I'm glad you I did. You bring up.
2: did. R- Ryan, a few minutes
0: ago, you said Tenly. And I've got to admit, uh, prior to doing a little bit of research, the only things I knew about you were that you worked at Zilla mm-hmm. and that you were the one person I know that overpaid to propose to their wife.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll let you guys know a secret. Uh, that whole thing was staged, and I didn't actually have to pay that much. <laughs>
0: i watched that video like the so we were at tinley april and i were there with joe and we were actually we weren't at the auction because we were at joe's hotel room watching him get a tattoo which is a completely different story for <laughs> right? april wasn't there for that one but no i wasn't that was good stories different though one. yeah uh but then i heard about what happened and then i saw the videos i was like damn that would suck
2: <laughs> <laughs> <I haven't laughs> no, so that much I- I told all the guys that were bidding, I'm like, look, only bid up to X amount. Otherwise, she won't believe it. Because, like, dude, I, I might, like, be the brand manager for Zilla, but I don't make the kind of money that I can spend 15 grand on a mystery box. Like, I'm not Todd Goodman. You know, so like we're sitting there and and, and my buddy Dan just kept messing with me and kept going higher and higher and higher and higher. And then Phil finally was like, "Okay, Ryan wins because he's like, dude, shut up. Well, I saw you (laughs) in the video. You can see you turn around. I gave him. I'm like, dude, you bid again and I won't bid. And then you'll have to buy my proposal and Phil will make you pay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, you want to make it 20, make it 20 because I'm not going to bid against you then. (laughs) That's so funny. But, uh, it was, it was, that was, that was super cool. That was a fun night. And that was, that was something that I'd, I'd worked on for a long time. So it was pretty fun to be able to do that with the community and everybody. And, um, but it was funny if you watch her, she said, oh, she was having a she's in the kitchen right now and I could see her and she's basically making a lot of faces and slowly killing me again in her head. Um, <laughs> but she was sitting next to me and you see her hand go over her mouth and, and nobody realized what was happening. Like she was just getting a little bit flustered, like, oh my God. Cause I told her it was for her birthday because that was her birthday too that night and uh and what was happening was she was hiding how the words that she was saying to me all of which were death threats um (laughs) (laughs) like she's like i was raised not like we had friends that were there to make sure she didn't get up and leave pissed off and she's like i was raised by my mom to not make a scene and but but she's like oh but you better believe but when we got back to the hotel room you were getting thrown out the damn window like <laughs> that's funny oh yeah it was i was i was in that's why the one of the, some of the videos you saw she took the armadillo and just started beating the crap out of me with it
0: yeah for any that that brief thing uh there was a mystery box with a, a marriage proposal in it to his girl well then girlfriend now wife uh and he, how what was the final air quotes of a bid on Fif- that?
2: 15 grand
0: 15 grand so he you know, she thinks she's paying fifteen grand for a box of whatever the hell it could just be a box of tampons. No idea what it is.
2: I told her it was a painting from Gomini, who's a good friend of ours. He actually him and Lisa Rotnavara who who run Living Art uh uh no Rain, what is it? Living Rainforest Gallery. Um amazing artist and and he actually designed helped me design the ring um so they were part of it and i told her i'm like this is for your birthday it's gonna be this awesome painting it's custom for you gami did it for you I, got, I gotta win it so it's it's it might get a little hard but everybody knows it's for you so don't worry about it and then she started realizing everybody was bidding way higher than she was comfortable paying for literally anything ever and then it got bad and then she got then it was oh yeah it's like she just looked at me she looked at me from the other room and she's like uh too soon too soon, I'm getting angry again. I can feel my blood pressure rising as you talk about it. I was, look,
0: I saw that video and it made me start thinking,
2: how much does he fucking make it Zilla? It's not that much. Don't worry. <laughs> no, it's actually not even close. Nope. Oh. I um I went to Phil later and I handed him a 20 and said thanks. Like that was the best I could do. Um,
1: <laughs> oh, that's so good.
2: <laughs> oh, James, man. I
1: don't think we're going to have time to go through... The YouTube videos. I think we should go over the Camp Cannon about the... Uh, yes, I
0: would do, do that. I was going to do two of them. Okay. I want to do Snake Discovery. Okay. Uh, because Snake Discovery finally put out a video. But now that COVID has slowed down a little bit, they got back to work on their new facility for their uh, Reptarium or whatever you want to call it, um, which I'm really excited about seeing how that turns out because I saw you know a year ago when they got the cages and the rock done in Texas. Uh, so the new video shows the, them getting in there and really getting that started uh they haven't started doing cages in there yet but they've gotten walls up and all this stuff so go so check out i gotta Stakers. call
2: them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, ed and emily are fantastic they're they're again more close friends of ours i love them and i love that they're so humble like out of all the youtubers you'll meet like they're just they're That's just they get, they get giddy about yeah there is yeah. no like youtube personality they get excited emily sat at my booth we were trying to talk me her and ed and and we ended up – I'm like, look, we'll just talk later because there was so – she wanted to talk to every little kid. And I'm like, I'm not taking that away from you. I love kids, and they're all excited about it. Go do it. And, like, that's just who they are. They're just fantastic people.
0: We went out to eat with them at Tenley At uh, Tinley, at it's at, like the Saturday night. We went to eat with them. And then uh, this this year, well, when they were in Texas picking out The Rock, uh, they drove over to the Conroe Herp Show. And I looked up and I was like, holy shit, it's Ed and Emily. And my, and my daughter, who wasn't at Tinley to see her, like, is a huge fan because every kid is. Right. And so I went and got my daughter. And I was like, look who it is. And so she there's a picture of her with her now. Um, and that made her day. But like, I've never seen two people have a harder time walking through a reptile show than Ed and Emily. Oh, God, It's nearly no impossible. <laughs> Especially when they're wearing the jacket, like, wearing something that says Snake Discovery. Yeah. It's over.
2: Yeah. And it's funny because like, she just started doing educational shows and they wanted to do a little bit of youtube and dabble in it and then it blew up and they got a couple viral videos and it exploded and then they just kept went just balls in with it and um it's just been super cool to watch them grow and turn that into something you know bigger and they do they they do so much just good Info and just anecdotal fun stuff, you know. It's it's a good way for kids to learn and like still be entertained and have fun. And I, I think they do a great job balancing it. That's, and it's well,
1: diversity uh, among yeah. so many different species that they have. And well, that the, new place the effort, will allow them. Right, the effort that they put into all their cage setups too is impressive to me. For someone who does mostly tubs, I will admit.
0: Well, I've said before. I think on YouTube, the two people that are the most wholesome, great for the hobby are well wait, Ed and Emily, i'm counting them as one person and clint i think yeah, those clint, two that's a great guy too they put out content and, and the amazing thing is that emily's able to get the amount of i mean i, don't, I think she's got more followers than everyone else uh easy oh yeah um, and but she doesn't do anything drastic she's not you know cutting open eggs and pulling babies out she's not pretending she's getting attacked by an anaconda she She's, I mean she's no,
1: just she's getting excited about garter snake babies. and that yeah.
2: is just yeah. enough. She's- she's feeding decay snakes like that's that's but that's what people want man like i people get excited about around me when i'm talking reptiles but it's because i'm excited yeah and it passes on to people i don't i don't need to do something extreme to get them excited i just have to be excited and if i'm excited and i'm throwing cool knowledge to them and fun stories and then they want to hear more and they want to learn more and that's where you get people it's not all the shock and awe the shock and awe gets views but it gets one-time views it gets oh i clicked that to watch a guy get eaten by an anaconda and he didn't get eaten by an anaconda and i'm not really gonna watch it again you know because it was really stupid and just hokey the whole time you know and there's some people that have just been known to do that kind of stuff and they get the attention and they have the subscribers and they get the fame but they're not it's fleeting and people like start watching their channel and bail really quick and then with people like ed and emily their their viewer base is like you look at the comments they get and it's not bashing and crazy and arguing it's all constructive and positive and i mean there's always somebody who's a prick but like most of the time it's like just good people ask you know wanting to talk and ask questions and 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 it's it's cool to see that and their viewers stick with them for a long time
0: well it's great because they're not characters they're what you see on this video that's ed and emily that's oh absolutely them. that's who you're gonna talk to and so i liked that video just because i like seeing i'm excited to see what that whole thing turns into and how it looks when it's done
1: i'm excited to visit one day
2: yes yeah you guys got to make a trip up and you head up there and then come down and see zilla and then go to the discovery center and feed the komodo and so
1: good to me
0: <laughs> i'll
1: be
2: i'll be there tomorrow let me call and say
0: um and then uh yeah so the camp cannon okay before we get to that video the other camp cannon video and this is just strictly for like nerdy people watch the one on his new Tacoma that he or it was on his new Tacoma, but it's Tacoma that he got redone for going out and like doing uh herp rescue missions. They redid the whole thing and they've got like spots to hold hooks and tongs and a tent on top of it. And this whole new light bar. It's just awesome. Like it's like the best herping road cruising truck on earth. <laughs> uh, nice. So watch that one. But yes, the one I wanted to talk about, the one you had brought up the fun- So it's funny. So, every week i have the rundown and i have it on a google doc and i just go in and i copy it and then i replace it with the new stuff well, when i got to this one it was the last thing on there was a camp Cannon video the last one we talked about and it was python ban in florida overturn question mark question mark and this week it was <laughs> python ban in florida overturn exclamation point exclamation point yep. <laughs> I it was hilarious So Uh,
2: huge props to those guys in U.S. Arc Florida, Michael Cole, Michael Barrera, um, those guys doing the work to do that. I mean, that's another big victory for U.S. Arc. And that's like if you've listened to our podcast that I hammer that every week. If you're not a a bronze member doing a five bucks a month for U.S. Arc, then just I have a lot of things I want to tell you about how you're just sucking at life but like it's i, I consider it the our, our dues that's our dues for being part of the reptile community and it really should be looked at that way as that's how we're going to keep our hobby on. and yep. like these are shining examples of of the things that that they're able to do and
0: for anybody that doesn't know was if somehow you were living under a rock but florida tried to they tried to ban iguanas or green iguanas and all species of tegu uh, which again is the dumbest thing on earth because banning iguanas does not get rid of the giant iguana population in Florida, and it does not even curb it. It does not even like make it less. the
2: The cat it's, it's done. That's it's already done. That's yeah. Now there's so, much, them... there's so much politics to it too. Like you, it's illegal to like. I could. Well, I can't drive around with a pellet gun and shoot invasive iguanas. Like that's illegal. That's like, why? Like, why? why? Like, they, they make it so it's hard to take care of, like, the Burmese pythons. They stopped giving out python hunting permits. It's and ridiculous. It's like, Yeah, well, like, you can't, they did that. But then at the same time, they were pushing to ban all pythons because of the Everglades. And it's like, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth because you're using politics. You need that problem to get you money and votes. But you, so you don't want to get rid of it, but you want to make laws that'll supposedly get rid of it.
0: You know, treat them like wild hogs. You can hunt wild hogs anytime you want. Go kill a hog. Yeah. They're not supposed to be there. So, like I've always been one of those. I easily could go to the Everglades, hunt and kill a Burmese and not feel bad. And I right. get people that couldn't do that. I get people that couldn't go kill it. I understand that. But I
2: have the ability to car- compartmentalize in my head they don't belong here. Absolutely. And if it's and, like even even hunting. Like I have a buddy that is a snapping turtle. He traps snapping turtles and hunts them. And he like and I'm like, he does it with a permit. He he has his license. He he uses it all. He he even called me up one day and is like, how do I tell the difference between males and females? Because I don't want to kill the females. And I'm like, you're he's somebody that understands the environmental impact, but he still enjoys that that activity. And I'm like, well, you Hunters and fishermen
0: tend to be the largest conservationists
2: oh absolutely and they but it it and that's the thing like they're conserving what they want to stick oh. around as a as part of their heritage and part of their 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 family oh. and think what they want to pass down. I wish that reptile keepers looked at the hobby the same way. Like, I want my kids to be able to work with these amazing species and learn about them and and learn about where they came from. Especially because half the t- by the time they're old enough to actually go fly there, it's not going to be there anymore. Like, and and we just don't look at it that way. We're like, nope. You just buy a snake, you breed it, you sell it, you make some money. It doesn't matter. And I'm like, yeah, but. You got to pay attention, dude, because it's – there's people out there who are attacking our right to do that every day.
0: Yeah. Well, you go, well, I don't own green iguanas. Well, that's that's not the point. You own something and that something will become illegal at some point if you allow them to make green iguanas illegal.
2: Right. Like, it's, it's, they it's don't a, stop it's a, there. It's a waterfall, man. It just keeps going. It's Yeah, exactly. It's not just going to stop there. So – Yes, USARC fought that. They found it unconstitutional
0: in the state of Florida for them to be able to make that now. That does not mean it's over. I'm sure Fish and Wildlife will try and go the right way and try and do it, but they're going to find it's a much harder path, and they probably won't win that battle either, but uh, hopefully this work, it works. It wasn't just the, obviously the iguanas and tegus, they had also brought back the large uh, constrictors again and tried to go through that whole thing again. Um, so,
1: Yeah, the latest update is that um, they are going to draft rules for it. Um, And you can read, if you go onto USARC, there is a link where you can read the draft rules. Um, And that, they say that that's a part of the process. And they'll be holding 10 public workshops via Zoom beginning September 29th. um, And that the draft rules are scheduled to be presented to the commissioner's uh, at the December 16th and 17th commission meeting. So that is the official update of what is going on from USARC.
0: And I'm that was posted a, today. Well, I'm all for a properly done permit system. That doesn't bother me. But I mean, it, there's got to be some reptile people who have got to have some say in that system and not just lawmakers who have no idea. Yeah. But. So that is. But yeah, that's an that exciting win. That was an exciting <laughs> win. We didn't get to cover all of our we covered, we didn't get to cover all our YouTube stuff, but that was
2: fine because we covered a lot of stuff. And I,
1: <laughs> yeah, it was a great conversation. <laughs>
2: it was. I like to chat a little bit. I'm a kind of chatty, so
1: just no, it's it awesome. <laughs> was perfect. No, I, that was.
0: I uh, that, I that the third eye is not so they don't get eaten by eagles. So
1: <laughs> yeah, that is good information to know, James. I'm being see? serious. Now, you just, now
2: you just got to grow one and we got to learn to smell in 3D and see infrared. And then we'll be almost as cool as literally the things that we think are living rocks.
1: We'll, we'll be almost as primitive as them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As <Yeah.
2: laughs> soon as we can see in, in heat. So yeah. See like the predator. Yep. So as soon as I can evolve to be as cool as the predator, I'll become as primitive as reptiles.
1: Yep. <laughs> Precisely. Uh well Ryan, if anyone wants to get a hold of you further, where can they find you?
2: Oh man. Uh everything short of smoke signals. Um <laughs> whether you're like Facebook, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram. My Instagram handle is Herptile Dad. Um because those are pretty much the two things in my life that are awesome. Uh, <laughs> and uh but otherwise I like I I'm at shows, I I I do stuff with Zilla, you can find me. Just Google Ryan McVeigh and reptiles, and there's probably eighty-seven different ways to find me. That's true. You can find his bio on Zilla. Yeah, that I mean there it's it's go. there. It's I've done got so many interviews and things like that in the past, and just I I love hanging out with reptile people and just Talking reptiles, man. There's just so much cool stuff to learn. And I'm sure on
0: YouTube you can find the video of him torturing his now wife during the proposal.
2: Oh yeah, it's. I mean, Emily had it in her video. Dave had it in his. I think like Cusco might have had it. There's not many people that didn't do that. Yeah.
1: (laughs) All right. If you're looking for me, you can find me at designerexotics.net or designerexotics on Instagram as well as YouTube.
0: And if you want to find me, I am on Facebook under Simply Serpents or on Instagram at Simply Underscore Serpents. This coming up weekend on the 19th and 20th, I'll be at Conroe, Texas at the Simply Serpents booth and at the Simply Bio booth. If you're interested in isopods and little isopod setups and getting into bioactive, come by and see me. Uh, also, while you're at Conroe, if you come there, go by and see our sponsor, Lone Star Reptile Racks. They will also be there, picking up a rack. And since you're at the show, you'll be at our other sponsor, uh, Herbs Reptile Shows. So come out and see us. If you want to get a hold of us on the podcast, it is the Reptile Gumbo Podcast on everything and at gmail.com for email. Uh, remember, each week we make a post. Go on there. Tell us what you saw that week, what you think is interesting. What do you want us to talk about? Uh, that's all I've got. I was This was a great episode. I enjoyed all the information we got. Thank you, Ryan, for coming yeah, on. Yeah,
2: absolutely, guys. Yes, this is super fun, and I'm happy to come hang out whenever. Yay. Cool. See, now you made the mistake of saying that.
1: I know. Now we're going to take you up on it. <laughs> oh, you
2: know, totally, totally do it. I mean, like, we didn't even get into the Herb Society and the rescue and, like, it, I, man, I got too much crap in my head. I got to get it out or I won't remember what <laughs> I – like, I'm going to forget where I, where I sleep.
0: And make sure to check out Ryan's podcast, Reptile Room Confessions.
2: Yes. Uh, Yeah, I should start learning to better promote my own crap. Yes. Yeah,
1: me too. (laughs) I don't promote my own stuff either. I'm terrible, and James yells at me.
2: (laughs) Yes.
0: Sorry.
1: uh, All right, guys. Well, thank you so much. And we will catch you guys next week. Thanks so much, everyone.
0: Bye.